a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. There is no And welcome back to Movies for Life. It's spooky season, and I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. Why are Ooh. we whispering? I don't know. Yeah, anyway. We're trying to be dorky. Yeah, we're spooky. being spooky. Oh, <laughs> All right, we'll stop now. Okay, time to stop. But hey, it is... I'm so excited. I know... Me too. I know it's like we're recording this like two months early but mm-hmm. <laughs> it is still august but i don't care i am in the mood for spooky and i've got my shiny i am ready i've got my all work and no play makes jack a doll boy coffee cup i've got my frankenstein <laughs> shirt i've got my uh, i've got my chucky shirt yeah i'm kind of surrounded by by spooky stuff all around me um it's awesome. I'm totally into this this year. Uh, I honestly had maybe gotten a little tiny bit burnt out on horror. And now I'm like full on and it's like all I want to watch. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm hoping that by I've the end the of... Way. I really hope that by the end of October, I still feel this way. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's... I love the choices that we've made for what we're going to cover uh, this month as well. Yeah. Because we're focusing on a particular brand of horror film, I suppose, right? Hmm? That was a prompt to maybe have you elaborate on things. Oh, for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say, too, I've been kind of feeling the same way. Like, usually when, like, October rolls around, it's not really any different than anything else that i watch all year but i've been i've been the same way we're kind of been not watching a whole lot of horror and so we and we we talked about this before we don't do a whole lot of horror on the show either and we've both just been kind of i think ready to to get into it and our favorite i think our mutual favorite like subgenre of horror is uh ghosts haunted house supernatural type stuff so that's yeah. what we're gonna do all month yeah show. this is fun this is exciting so i mean we've picked yes. two of our favorites so this first one is going to be more of a haunted house episode yeah starting with jack clayton's the innocence from 1961 based on the turn of the screw by henry james uh one of the great great um subtle horror films ever made yep and then we're going to 
do uh, which one of the things again that we kind of like to do is doing an older movie and a newer movie together so my pick is going to be from 2007 and we're going to talk about the orphanage i love the orphanage very exciting yeah and the orphanage is going to be one i'm excited to rewatch. i saw it for the first time last year um and i'm excited to watch that one again i just gave away that we're recording these separately aren't didn't i it's okay that's okay. All right. So uh, we're trying a new method. So we're we trying don't get to so do burnt out, burnt out. <laughs> the yeah. second movie. <laughs> right. Right. It just happened a few times with both of us. So. For sure. For sure. So this one, uh, The Innocence, is just a. It's a really fascinating movie. I mean, there's a lot of ambiguity in what's going on here, yes. and that's part of. That's one of the things that makes it really great, and I think that's. It's probably even more ambiguous than uh, Henry James' already very ambiguous story. Uh, this is it. It's you never really entirely know, even by the end of the movie, w- what exactly happened. Um, yeah, which makes which I, I know for some viewers that could be really frustrating. But for me, yeah, that's why I love it. <laughs> for me, it's what makes the movie great. Uh, yeah. And so just from the opening frames of this movie all the way to the end, it is spectacular to look at even mm-hmm. even and to hear. Yes. I love the sound design. Yeah. So much. Just starting black, completely black and having a, a child's voice it's a it's a girl apparently it feels like a girl i'm pretty sure it's flora which we haven't who we haven't met yet of course singing this haunting melody o willow whaley about a weeping willow and how you know these lovers are separated by death and (laughs) and then for it to go to the 20th century fox logo in that scope black and white Without the fanfare, but just continuing to go yeah. with the Willow Whaley, that is that is the, one of the strongest openings uh, for mm-hmm. a movie like this that I've ever seen. I was kind of surprised that they did that, you yeah. know, because I wasn't usually got to have the the logo first and then dun, they could, da, 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 go and da, see da, that. Da, 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 da. Sure. That would be so inappropriate to start this movie it with would. that fanfare. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they probably had to fight for it, I bet. I, I imagine that Jack Clayton and the producers of this movie probably said, can, can we forgo the fanfare? Boy. and Such a cool way to start this. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I had Okay, so I, I'd only seen this one once, like maybe like 10 years ago, I think. I remember watching it for my blog, I think. And I honestly, it didn't really do much for me at the time. And so I hadn't watched it again. I was really happy that you you picked this um, as your choice for this episode, so I that I could watch it again because I got so much more out of it this time, and I'm, I'm I saw so much more that I don't know I completely missed because I mean I had read the Turn of the Screw like way back in high school though, so I didn't remember any of the story or anything. But yeah, just this time around, I love yeah like you said I love the the ambiguousness of it and. How, like, you don't know who to believe the whole time, like, even up till the end. Um, 
yeah i loved everything about this the look of it the sound of it um this is becoming i think and i've watched it i've been watching different parts of it to prepare for this uh, over the last couple of days mm-hmm. and i'm like i don't know man this is kind of becoming one of my a new favorite i think awesome which is exciting i always yeah. love finding a new favorite even if it's one i didn't like at first yeah well <laughs> that's always uh, even more surprising as i recall the first time i saw this i just thought I, you know, at the time immersed in the sort of, I I don't know, probably the scream era and slashers and big sort of bloody opulent over the top horror films like that, you know, the the Halloween's and Friday the 13th and nightmares Mm -hmm. and Elm streets that I was kind of in it into at the time. Right. So seeing this was like, I thought it was, dare I say the word, boring boring you know when <laughs> yeah. i was you know um because sure. it's it's paced so differently than any of those but i remember here's what here's the reason why i watched it in the first place i have this this old fangoria video guide and the editor i think it was tony timpone who wrote that you know on halloween night i'd love to just sit with the frankly i mean he's talking about all these gory bloody movies he says you know i wouldn't mind on halloween night just sitting down with the innocence and a bowl of popcorn and i was like huh it's like what is this and so i hadn't heard of it before that and so i sought it out and it didn't do much for me at the time because i was like nothing happens right but (laughs) there's something happening constantly in this movie yeah always and it's very i mean the pacing is it's it's a, it's I mean, it's kind of like those roses that are all over this movie, the slowly unfolding story that is just gradually presenting itself to you. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just there's lots of beautiful. little like hint droppings, yeah. but for all different sides to to where you could believe either Miss Giddens or you could believe the the supernatural right. element of it or you could believe the not supernatural element the possibility going on there yeah there's evidence for for both sides yeah always absolutely and one of the things that i'm really glad they did was they changed the opening originally the opening was going to be them at the funeral of miles <laughs> so it was going to be um the uncle and miss gross uh mrs gross um shunning uh, Ms. Giddens at the mm-hmm. funeral and instead it goes to this it's just that that black screen and her hands sort of come up into the I, like is she praying is she what exactly is happening is she a nun or something I, it, it, there's there's all of these kinds of possibilities and um, running the credits next to the folded hands or the praying hands and then all I ever wanted to do was protect the children. I didn't want to harm harm them. It's like, okay, you know, th- this just sort of draws you in. And there's so much like so many questions that are raised. Yeah. It's it, it's very intriguing and it pulls you in so beautifully. And some of the things while I'm watching the, the uh, opening credits that stick out to me, I mean, Deborah Carr, of course, is, is our main characters, Miss Giddens um, and Michael Redgrave who was one of England's, you know, biggest actors, largely stage actor, but also a film actor, huge star. And he's in one tiny little scene in this movie. Um, And then 
also the director of photography, Freddie Francis, who um, he is well known for having been the DP on uh, Corman's Mask of the Red Death, <clears throat> which is a beautiful film. He was also made a lot of Hammer films, uh, like directed a lot of Hammer films. And then he would later in life uh, serve as DP for a couple of David Lynch films. So that stood out to me. And then also uh, the writers. Um, William Archibald is a name that you wouldn't recognize, but the other name uh, is Truman Capote. So there's a lot that (laughs) brings in some interesting (laughs) thoughts as to, you know, what does Capote uh, bring to this film and and those seeds sort of plant in my brain it's like hey let's let's see here <laughs> um yeah and we have actually talked about a jack clayton film before uh something wicked this way comes which he made a little over 20 years later just a couple of things that stood out to me even from the opening credits and it is car not cur <laughs> <laughs> It looks like her. I know, but <laughs> it, it was, uh, I remember there was this thing on TCM where this guy says um, his favorite, They were, it was like one of those star of the month things and it was, or star of the week things. This is Deborah Carr. And it says, and I remember they would advertise her as Deborah Carr rhymes with star because that's how you would remember her, <laughs> which I thought was great. Um, all right. So. This then it was going to go from that funeral scene to this opening scene that we see here with Michael Redgrave. I, I think this kind of cold open is a lot better. Yeah, I agree. You don't. I, what I what makes the movie partially so intriguing is that you don't really know a whole lot about everybody, especially Miss Giddens. Right. She doesn't reveal a whole lot and we don't, so we don't really get any of those, like, we don't get like a setup thing of her, like, needing to look for a job or whatever, whatever's going on in her life. You just kind of start out with, she's getting the job. Yep. And she's taking over. She could be anybody. And she's taking over from another governess that um, the children quite liked. But she just up and died. Yeah. Miss (laughs) Jessel. She just, she just died. Yeah. I do sort of he seems like like not a, a great person but I do appreciate his honesty. <laughs> oh totally and that's one of the things that she scene. says too. Yeah. It's when he's just like um I'm a bachelor like this kid's parents died and I had to take them in and I don't really want to be a parent. <laughs> I just kind of like my life the way it is and I'm like you know what that's totally cool. I'm glad yeah. somebody said it, you know. Yeah, he says and he still takes the, care of them. He just yeah, he, financially at least financially and makes sure that they're being watched over, which is why he's looking for like a good person to take over. This is a big responsibility. He wants them that per, this person to take full responsibility over everything having to do with the kids. Yeah, it's like whatever happens, you must handle it alone. Yep. Don't, Don't bother me. me is pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah. Even though he's only in this one scene, there's this sort of sense his presence is, is kind of underlies a lot of the film because, you know, I, I need to contact your uncle. This is getting out of hand or, mm-hmm. you know, is my uncle coming? Is, uh, is mm-hmm. all these things he, he's brought up a lot throughout the course of the movie, which is interesting. Um, so we find out about Miss Jessel, who died 
uh, the previous governess who died. And then we find uh, also uh, Mrs. Gross, who is the housekeeper. Uh, there is another servant, uh, Anna, which we barely see. And I think they mention a cook, but the cook's not there in this. Yeah. doesn't appear in the movie. Um, There's like a cook and two maids yeah. or something. It's like, where? Yeah. <laughs> now, they are in Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Bly Manor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is a riff on this. It's not, it's not the same. It's, it's a variation, just like Haunting of Hill Houses. It's uh, taking other Henry James stories and the like and fusing them all together in interesting ways. And I really like Haunting of Bly Manor. But um, this is a much more simple story, but the ambiguities of it are just as complex as anything in that. So um, Now, getting to Bly Manor, wow. I mean, yeah. wh- what a place to grow up. <laughs> yeah. I understand that the uncle doesn't like being out there. He likes the town life, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing this place and I'm thinking this big house away from all these people, like for me to like just roam free and do whatever I want. Yeah. This is kind of more my style. <laughs> uh, me too. I mean, you got the the, right? la- the lake and the boats and the horses and the I everything mean, you could want to come do. Come on. The house is freaking huge. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, and it's pretty. It's not, it's not like run down it, haunted yeah, house. Yeah. Right. It doesn't feel like that at all. It's um and it's a real house. You can actually go and visit I think it's Sheffield Park. Mm-hmm. And it's uh still there and it's looks pretty much the same as it did. I mean the grounds and the outdoors. They built the interiors on sets at, Sh- at Shepperton because it the inside apparently doesn't really match the outside of that house. Uh, it's, it's very, which is one, which is one of the things that, no, I mean, in real life, the, the, the actual inside of Sheffield park, the manor is actually kind of square and straightforward is what Christopher Frayling says. So the sets actually look more like what you would think the inside of the house would look like. Gotcha. So anyway, uh, which is a cool thing. But, you know, we meet Flora, obviously a very important name, I think. I think her name is she's connected to the earth. Um, She's very much into nature and animals. And she's a strange child. I Um, think the creepiness of the movie starts off like right at the beginning when she meets Flora. Yeah. Which is another thing that's cool is that a lot of the creepy stuff does happen like in the daytime. Yeah. Not not at night. There's some great like night like wandering around the house oh, in the yeah. dark with a candlestick scene. One of my favorite scenes. Oh, it's yeah, iconic. <laughs> but yeah, so but a lot of the the sightings, I guess you would say, kind of happen in the daytime too. And yeah. I can, almost kind of consider this one like a sighting scene because it's the way that it's cut is very it's kind of odd. When she's just kind of like looking over the grounds, there's there's a shot. Um, she's I think she it seems like she's standing in a totally different place when she sees there's a shot of the manor mm-hmm. and then to Flora's reflection in the water. And then she it's like she cuts and she's just there where it seemed like maybe she wasn't there before in a way, like just the way that it's. Not that she, I'm not saying that like she's a ghost or anything. Right. Just the way that it's cut is very, it's kind of odd. To yeah. Me. Yeah. 
that's another that's another thing that's you know the editing in this is really fascinating i mean there are like really long dissolves that uh, Mm -hmm. will sort of make the people look like ghosts in a way as it as it transitions Mm -hmm. from one shot to the next um it's fascinating how it's all done um but we also meet rupert the tortoise (laughs) <laughs> in this <laughs> scene. <laughs> uh, can tortoises swim? Uh, oh no. my god! I that's didn't think so. so. Uh, that's creepy. I love that scene. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things that when when uh, Miss Giddens goes into the house, that's fascinating. So the, the, there are those white roses everywhere, but when she touches them, they fall apart. Mm-hmm. It's um, and what does Mrs. Gross say? It's oh, they're always, always doing that. Yeah. So there's this underlying sense of decay throughout Death. the whole movie. Yeah. Death and, and things falling apart. Um, and uh, there's a lot of meaning going on in various things. Mrs. Gross is, is really interesting. And also, while she was out in the garden with Flora, she hears someone calling Flora's name. Yes. I, I just heard the thunder. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and says. I heard you calling her and she says, oh, no, that wasn't me. And so that's one of, that's like the first hint that there's something off, you know, as well, that there could be some other presence here. You know, I mean, could it have been one of the other servants? Maybe. Could it have been Anna? We only yeah. see her speak like one that one time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can't really get a fix on like who the voice belongs to. Right. Right. Um, there's Miss Jessel and all those ideas. This movie does well with rewatches too. <laughs> it does. Um, I almost like yeah. want to talk about it, like knowing everything at the time. And Maybe we should di- dissecting yeah. it that way because yeah. there yeah. are some overall questions I have that are kind of yeah, and revealed so throughout the movie, you know. Yeah, and and let's and let's do that. Let's we'll we'll talk about it knowing where it ends up. Yeah, you know, I mean. Because, I mean, I think by now people know we, we spoil these movies, you know, so that's sure. the best way to discuss these. But um, there's a there's an interesting part here that I thought, because, uh, okay, I I am fascinated, maybe it's because of all the Wes Craven stuff I did, about the use of the bedtime prayer in movies and the variations <laughs> yeah. on it. And there's one in this where she messes up the words at first, where Flora says, mm-hmm. if I should wake before I, then she stops herself before mm-hmm. she says die and switches it to if I die before I wake. And I, I don't know, that just kind of, it's like, wouldn't the Lord, and then she says this, wouldn't the Lord just leave I me here this. to I walk around? Yes, yeah, like, isn't that what happens to some people? Exactly. Like, left here to, I was like, oh my god, I love that line so yeah, much. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I mean, because you get the sense that she's seen Miss Jessel then, because Miss Jessel apparently wanders the house. But then my question is, I'm not sure that she does because the only one that we know sees the ghosts. Is Miss Giddens. Giddens. Well, okay. Then my question is, based on what we know about Miles, mm-hmm. um, when he comes in and why he got kicked out of school and how yeah. Flora is kind of acting 
right at the beginning. She knows he's coming home. My No. Well, my question is, do we ever actually meet the real children? Are they ever actually themselves or are they always playing a ghost? Playing a part or or, or are they or possessed? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which would make sense because, I mean, if Miles is is never getting into trouble, except if he's always says. Yeah. Yeah. Except in this case where, you know, if Peter Quint really is this troublemaker. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's an interesting aspect of this is it's it's sort of a possession movie too yeah. with or might be a possession movie. That's another that's thing one, about that's, it. That's another thing. That's another that's just one way you can look at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, mean, Miss if we go by Miss Giddens Miss Giddens is convinced that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. If we go by what Miss Gross says, which you know, we can sort of rely on her a little bit more because she knows she's known the children for a while that you know the the kids have never you don't know but okay like the kids have never been like one to lie or you know speak the way that miles is is said to have spoken you know while he was in school what got him kicked out that kind of stuff but then is that also just like a housekeeper's you know love for the kids and not wanting to see their bad side kind of thing and just always thinking oh they're they're just lovely children they're spirited children spirited <laughs> or, are they, or are they spirited <laughs> right. children <laughs> yeah. right right that's uh. what was kind of fascinating me like after i watched it all the way through and then i was i was watching it for i was like okay are they ever actually themselves or are they always possessed by quentin jessel yeah if you go by again if you go by if that's what's happening in the movie if you go by what our unreliable narrator believes right she's very unreliable she is absolutely yeah it's oh boy (laughs) i don't know um this yeah you're kind of yeah you're you're i haven't there are things that i haven't i've i've examined this movie pretty closely and and these are things i hadn't really thought about that much so yeah this is good this is good yeah (laughs) um but you know Okay, here's what I th- one of the things that I think Truman Capote probably um, contributed to the film is is sort of like the weathering, falling apart statues and um, sort of that. It, I'm take I'm taking this a little bit from the commentary, um, the Southern Gothic sensibility. Mm-hmm. There's there's a sense of you know like they're in the swamps and you know things are falling apart. You know old statues are weathering away a little bit. There's a part where the bug comes out of the mouth of one of them. Uh, I love that shot because it's yeah. a statue with the hands are cut. Holding yeah, the, the hands are, are cut, cut off. off. Yeah. That's really it's, cool. It's very, uh, yeah, it's really creepy. Um, and But then even also, you know, Flora, you know, they get the letter from Miles' school. And Flora, didn't you say that Miles was coming home? It's like, how could mm-hmm. you have known this? And then we find out he was expelled. And then... This is where you get that line where, and I, th- I really do think this might be a key metaphor of the movie. It's like, oh, look, a lovely, uh, a butterfly, a lovely spider, and it's eating a butterfly. <laughs> she calls the spider lovely. Lovely, yes. And, and the butterfly is, is being destroyed. Now, the question 
I think throughout the movie is who's the spider, who's the butterfly. Natural instinct would tell you, oh, Deborah Carr, she's the butterfly. Beautiful. And then Miles or Quint or possessed by Quint or whatever is the spider. Mm -hmm. I might be the other way around because who ultimately is destroyed? Who's really the innocence? Yeah. Who's really (laughs) the the innocent? Yeah. And the thing is, in a sense, everybody is. And in another mm-hmm. sense, nobody is. I like the part where um, she's putting Flora to bed. And she, I, again, I love the sound design of this. She's constantly hearing like weird sounds. Like when she hears the sound, mm-hmm. the really loud sounds in the trees at one yeah. point. And then another yeah. one of my favorite scenes, which is coming up. Even but in the opening hears, when like, you're hearing like the birds and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, and it's night yeah, and that's, birds. that's weird. You know, it's weird because birds don't sing at night. Um, things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, well, she hears like something that sounds like an animal that's hurt or something. Right. And well, what does Flora, Flora say? And what's something that kind of, another thing that runs through a lot of the movie is like, well, as Miss Gross says, you know, we have to pretend we didn't hear it so that we don't imagine things. Right. <laughs> so much talk about imagination what is the first thing that the uncle asks her in their interview is do you have an imagination Mm, that's right Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of hints again that she's an unreliable narrator that she's not something is up with her mentally that we don't know about right is another way to look definitely the implication is that Uh i mean you can you can watch this whole movie and go she's uh seeing this she's yeah she is making this all up in her mind this is this Mm -hmm. story that has come together through various clues and she's she's mentally ill you know i mean Mm -hmm. that that is one way you can watch this movie another way is you can watch it is the ghosts are real and they really did possess the kids Um, there's and she's right on both sides yeah, I mean, there are hints all There's over another the scene. There's a scene where Flora's watching her have a nightmare. And yeah. Flora's, like, smiling. Yeah. She's clearly, like, kind of, like, thrashing in bed or whatever. So there's a... Oh, the dream sequences just, are so cool, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. Again, again, it's that superimposition and the way the different images. Mm-hmm. It's very... And you can see Freddie Francis working with Lynch, right? Yeah. You know, with that I sort of know. idea. Um, yeah. Anyway. You said he uh, did the elephant man. I was like, yeah. I okay. think it's the elephant <laughs> man. Uh, I think he did the straight story too, as I recall. I, I, I'd have to look it up, but um, yeah. He, he really is um, one of the great cinematographers. Oh, hey, look at this. Okay, cinematography, real quick. Uh, elephant man, Cape Fear, the Scorsese version. Dune, uh, The Straight Story, The Innocence, Glory, School Ties, uh, Saturday Night, Sunday Morning. And these are just the ones he did as cinematographer. Um, oh, The French Lieutenant's Woman. But then um, as director, I mean, it was <laughs> Tales from the Crypt, Dracula has Risen from the Grave, <laughs> um, you know, The Skull, Trog, The Evil of Frankenstein. <laughs> I mean, the Tales from the Crypt movie? Tales from the Crypt movie, the uh, old oh, one from, 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 from 72. I yeah. love that movie. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Uh, the Torture Garden. I mean, like Hammer and Amicus is all over this, you know, his his filmography. So anyway, that's it's, it's just one of those. Um, it's fascinating 
what people end up working on and what they get uh, related to. Because this movie is very much like, yeah, it's it's being made at sort of the height of the Hammer film success story, but it is purposefully anti-Hammer in in its approach. I mean, it's not overt and blatant and gory. It's completely subdued, opposite, psychological. Um, and I love Hammer movies. I mean, I love them. But there's something about uh, this approach that is so unique. I mean, even at the time, it's so incredibly subtle. There's a the, something about what Mrs. Gross says, too, that's kind of when we've she, before we've met Miles, when they're reading the letter and she says, you know, Miles is being expelled because he's an injury to the others. That's such an odd way to put it. Isn't it, it really is. And then um, Mrs. Gross kind of laughs it off and says, oh, are you afraid he'll corrupt you? Uh, mm-hmm. Which is what so that's sort of the direction the movie's heading. And it's the question is in the end, is it he who corrupts her or her who corrupts him? And I think that's part of the, you know, ambiguity and sort of twisted sort of darkness of the movie. So there's this. Oh yeah. It's one of, of those. There's kind of a weird sexual element. Oh God. To, yeah. yeah. This is yeah. one of those from the time period where they couldn't, really say what they really wanted to say but you it's more effective because they don't i think exactly yeah you know (laughs) it's you know i I, there's a lot of stuff about i think yeah uh, part of her problem could be some kind of like sexual repression or trauma Mm -hmm. going on with giddens absolutely why is why is she so obsessed with children and the innocence of children yeah you know is there something that she's lost trying to get back something that happened i don't yeah why does she seem so afraid of like people she's very kind of odd about like touch i think in some parts too Mm -hmm. so that's a good point that's a good point you know the haze code gets you know rightfully maligned like okay but i gotta say there are some good things about the haze code period that forced filmmakers to they could. They said the same stuff they would have said, <laughs> but they just say it so much more subtly. And there's a creativity and of that limitation, you know. If you that, there's sort of a same as like Cape Fear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you put those limitations on there, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and you have two versions of that movie: one that's under the code and one that's outside the code. Which one is more effective? I think it's the one that's under the code because there's so much that has to be buried beneath the surface, but it's all there. Everything that's explicit in the remake is there in the original. It's just, it forces the, uh, I mean, it, it, (laughs) there's a certain way you got to watch a movie from that's under the code. Yeah. Um, and it forces you to really think about it, you know, and that's, that's tough, tough sometimes. You got to maybe so, pay attention to, yeah. to certain lines. There are little cues. <laughs> there are little cues. Yeah. That's like, this is what we're really saying. Uh, it's, it could be in a line. It could be in an image. It can be in just a look between two characters or something. Yes. So there's a lot that's going Absolutely. on and there's a sort of that incestuous idea going on here. And there's a little bit mm-hmm. of, uh, 
dare we say, pedophilia, perhaps, even though it's sort of reverse pedophilia with the little with the kid sort of being her aggressor it's 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 really messed up yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. but the thing is if you just watch it for what it is you don't necessarily see that which is why i think i didn't see the first time i saw this which is why maybe oh i didn't either intrigue me as much but this yeah. time i was like wait a minute yeah he's <laughs> fucked up <laughs> it really is <laughs> so. it's not one i would have thought of like that before i watched it again yeah exactly well when, when we first okay. meet miles it's the hits start dropping you know mm-hmm. that he's that he's mature beyond his years something about his spirit is like yeah is like a man who's closer to her age um he, he says she call her, him in the something says, in the carriage yeah while they're in the carriage she says uh, you're far too pretty to be a governess and uh she says oh and you're far too young to be such a deceitful flatterer and yeah. then they show flora dropping her flowers out the window and there's uh some kind of kind of weird and twisted about that too and she's kind of laughing about it. She loves nature. She's sort of connected to nature, but she likes to watch the destructive nature of it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very, very She's very much of the uh, mother nature can be cruel. She, she's, she's Werner Herzog. Yeah. <laughs> nature is filled with murder and... <laughs> so, yeah. And you're right. There's... She's... Flora is very excited about Miles coming back. This is what I'm saying. She like, is, yes. Are they ever really themselves, yeah. if you look at it from that way? She's always like, Miles is coming. Miles is coming. Yeah. And it's not just, uh, you know, I love my big brother kind of. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, it's weird. It's weird <laughs> stuff. There is a line here where he's talking about, his uncle, though, where Miles talks about his uncle, he says, you know, it's a bit sad, though, when people don't have time for you. Just the way he puts that, that there's a sense of being abandoned by their uncle. But he, right from the beginning, he's talking like a grown up, right? He says, don't be frightened, yeah. my dear. He calls my her dear. my dear. It was when only the, the wind. the blows out. Yeah. yeah. The wind, window shuts. Yeah. The wind. I caught that, out. too. I was like, why are you saying my dear? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, Willow Whaley uh, keeps on coming through as a leitmotif um, as that continual reminder of this song we heard at the beginning about these lovers that have been separated Mm -hmm. by death. Um, And, uh, yeah, this is when uh, she's out in the grounds and she sees the man on the parapet. I fucking love this part. (laughs) It's beautifully done. And there's... uh, between sound design and image, it's like, yes. oh gosh. Um, so first she sees the man, and there's that sunlight. It's like the sun gets really, really bright. Well, no, before that, yeah. she's when she's like pruning the flowers. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. Goes, goes silent. Yeah, right. Big, big deal about like all the the bugs or birds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just the sound of being out in nature. And then all of a sudden, and that's where she sees this is the bug. Nothing. Come out of the, it's where she sees the bug come out of the mouth of the mm-hmm. yeah it does cut to silence she sees the man up on the parapet you can't really tell who it is at this point but it's definitely a grown-up man it's not yes one of the kids it's like is it the gardener uh, who knows someone we don't know and yeah but there's then, that like bright sunlight that yeah 
Yeah, it gets really, really bright. Something. Yeah, and actually there. Right, right. And then the pigeons, uh, the white pigeons, doves. eh? (laughs) Um, They 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 sort of fly out in front of him, and then they go into slow motion. Apparently, that was an accident. There, it was at the end of a of a film magazine, and the last little bit of it just went through really fast. So when you speed up film through the camera, you know, you play it back, it goes in slow motion. And so it was sort of like this great serendipitous moment where that slow motion is really effective with how those birds move because they move really weird too. It's not just regular feeling slow motion. It's like it goes almost down to stills. It just gets, it's very effective how it works. Yeah. And then when she goes in to climb the tower, there's all that sound of the buzzing of flies. And I hadn't really noticed that before, but that comes back later um, when she sees um, when she sees Miss Jessel in, in like the schoolroom. There's there's the sound of a fly. So it's just like these. Um, but I'm not recalling that at the moment. But okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, just the sound of all these buzzing flies. And all the cobwebs and stuff like that. It looks like classic, you know, yeah. haunted house imagery for the first time, really. Um, yeah. And um, climbs to the top and Miles is up there playing with the birds. And you know, there was no man. Just me. me. Uh, I like how he's like just covered yeah. in the pigeons, though. That's kind of cute. <laughs> it is. It's, it's cute. He's got one yeah. on his head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. He says he's been alone the whole time. Is it Miles who says that Flora invents things, imagines them? See? Yeah. All kinds of talk about imagination. imagination. We don't want to be imagining things. We don't want to be seeing things. Right. Hearing things. Yeah. <laughs> but she does hear a lot of things that are, seem very unnatural. Because mm-hmm. is this the one where um, Miles is riding the pony? Yeah. And she just hears like a really... I, I can't even really describe it. It's just like a really loud sound in the trees. In the trees. There's, it's like a sense and, of danger. Mm-hmm. You know, even though there's nothing really happening, it's yeah, it's, it's one of it's one of those scenes where. But I mean, the fact that he went out on his own is a little little weird. I mean, it's not like he does anything really wrong, but it's no. sl- there's something slightly mischievous about it, at least about how he just went out and did it um, without letting anyone know. But they're drawing later uh, and said Miles says something weird about wanting to be things to be just the way they are. He wants to be a boy uh, living at Bly forever. um, Talking about how much he loves the house, which I mean, it's foreshadowing that he is going to be forever a boy because he dies uh, at the end of the film. But, or it could be, I love me, Mr. Talking. I love being a boy. It's so fun and free. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) So this is I, kind of fun. Like I was, I was, I never really appreciated before. Being, being a child. Yeah. <laughs> or just like, I'm having a lot of, he, he was such a, a manipulator in person as we get from Mrs. Gross. Right. He probably loves like possessing miles and like fucking with Miskins, you know? Oh, I'm sure. Like, that's, that's, that's what I got out of that line too. It's like, Oh, this is, this is fun. I'm having, I'm having a blast being this. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a bit of a, he's a, not a bit of, he's a misogynist and yeah. he, he just likes messing with women, I think. Yep. 
Which, I mean, you kind of wonder, too, is that true? Is that really true of Peter Quint or not? It's hard to say. Um, because he's dead. So. He's dead. I mean, so, and why is Ms. Jessel so attached to this man is one of the complications as well. Can, it's one of the com- she, complexities, I should say. Yeah. And she the could story. be just as messed up as he is. Yeah, yeah. They could have a sadomasochist relationship. Have you ever seen the movie The Nightcomers? No. They do in that. It's a Michael Winter film. I didn't care for it. Uh, it's Marlon Brando. Uh, I just disliked that character so much. It's a, essentially a prequel to this. Okay. And I just disliked the way he treated her so much. I found it hard to in, to like a movie about that guy. That's definitely what you yeah. get from, I don't know. I believe what Mrs. Gross says. She seems to be like yeah, she the seems only person re- that you can really trust in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's you know? reliable. Seems reliable. Yeah. So I believe everything that she says about Quint. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, now the hide and seek scene. Yeah. This is great. First of all, she's walking down the hallway and she sees a woman cross the hall in a black dress. It's very momentary i mean it's really i I don't even remember seeing that before and i've I've seen this movie a lot (laughs) it's very quick she thinks it's anna but thinks it's anna nobody answers nobody answers her right it finds the ballerina music box and the picture in the attic and they find her and it's like okay where am i gonna hide so she goes down well stairs that's when miles Grabs her around the right. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good point. It's like I found you, and now you're my prisoner. Like he's playing at first, and she's Mm -hmm. telling him to stop, like because you're hurting me. And he says, "Oh, am I?" Like he's like gleefully saying, "Am I hurting you? Really?" Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I definitely get something. You definitely get something about Quint in that, but also about her. Yeah. With how, I think, with how, again, like I said, with like how scared she is and uh, maybe afraid of touch. True. Way. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Because when she's going out, when it's her turn to hide and she's like, oh, where, where should I hide? She, The look on her face and the way she says those lines, like she's like freaked out. Obviously, because, you know, this is like a small child, like acting weird. Yeah. You know, she's starting to get that something's going on. So there's that. But then there's also something underneath, which can't really say for sure because she never reveals anything about herself right so i don't know exactly what's going on (laughs) right there's something there's something there i swear (laughs) now if you look at this from the mental illness standpoint it's all Uh innocent play Uh you know and he just doesn't really know that he's making her uncomfortable uh and it's also interesting that when she sees the man in the parapet she doesn't see his face now she's seen the picture She's seen the picture of the guy. She doesn't know who it is in the thing. And she goes downstairs. She goes to hide behind the curtain. And now she sees. And the ghost appears at the window. That is one of the coolest things, too. The the appearance of of Peter Quint for the first time in the window is just like he just kind of floats in out of the darkness. It's it's really cool. Um, I really like that um, that moment. And then the way, then she just sort of freaks out, obviously. But then the way that Mrs. Gross is shown, she is shown 
in reflection in that same window. Mm-hmm. And it, like, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's really interesting how they hit, sort of pit those two things against each other. Him apparently coming from outside, her actually inside reflecting in the window, but it looks the same. And again, it drops that idea that this could all be in her mind. She could have seen something else, you know, in yeah. the in the, she in saw the some reflection. kind of reflection that looked yeah. like a face. Yeah, which she already had in her mind because she saw saw the picture. The picture, true. Yeah. 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 So, uh, man, it's really really. Cool. And this is where we hear about Peter Quint actually get his name, the master's valet. He's dead. That's as she just kind of leaves. <laughs> that's all she says yeah. at this point. He's dead. I don't know. That, that whole sequence is just really like there's so much going on in all that um, that it, it's a lot to take in. It's, there's not a wasted moment in this movie, is there? There's not. Every, everything is like is needed for the characters or dropping the clues or, uh-huh. or man, it's everything adds every line, every action kind of, again, just adds something to make you believe either yeah. thing. It could be true about what's actually happening in the movie. Yeah. You know, something that occurred to me while I was watching this and I watched another ghost. I watched the fog. I rewatched John Carpenter's the fog. And then it's true. The, of the orphanage as well is, and lots of others, is there's a mystery element to these mm-hmm. movies. There's, there's, and I know you're a huge fan of mystery movies. So it's kind of like it, it sort of dawned on me. I, I get why these are so meaningful to you. These kinds of movies are your favorites because you love, <laughs> I, and I do too, of course, because so much of these is about unraveling the mystery. And it's how it's slowly presented to you throughout the course of the film. And this one is one of those where the mystery doesn't solve at the end. Yeah. So. Um, I do it, love that. It that's might, what, it might what, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do love that because that's part of, I think one of the reasons why I love like just that element of mysteries or ghosts or something like Diabolique. This, the yeah. way, reason I love that so much is that it's, the whole experience of it just make it heightens the whole experience of just watching a movie, mm-hmm. just watching something unfold and, and getting excited to see what's, what's coming up next, how it's all going to reveal itself to you. Oh yeah. yeah I, I, mean, did, I absolutely love that shit. <laughs> sure. I mean, even, even, um, you know, really popular ones, something like the sixth sense is largely a mystery movie. That's why. Yeah. Ghost stories are all basically mystery yeah. movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even poltergeist is, sure. you know, yeah, that's a that's a just a fascinating aspect. Certainly, the devil's backbone is that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so stir of echoes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's well, right. And the changeling that we're <laughs> the changeling covering next time. So, <laughs> what? Um, what? What? Who said? What that? did I give that away? <laughs> All right. Um, so then there's also you know that thunderstorm. You know, it seems like it's summer. Like the windows are open and it's hot, and then you have these sort of sudden thunderstorms that are. <laughs> add to some of that as mm-hmm. well. When they're in the schoolroom, the schoolroom, and Flora and Miles, they start pencil. They start acting up. They're <laughs> they're sort of intentionally annoying her, and then we find out from Mrs. Gross what happened to Quint or what she knows. 
happened. It's, it doesn't seem like the whole story. I don't know if we ever get the whole story as to what actually happened to Quint, you know, because it says he was drunk. He slipped on the steps and hit his head and he, and he died. But they also points out, you know, that Quint was found by Miles. So he was the first one that dawns on me, something like a parallel to the exorcist (laughs) because between exorcist and exorcist three, he dies on the stairs and the, the legion goes out of him. And anyway, uh, into the other killer. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Cut that out. That's annoying. Um, but it's, you know, I don't know. Something about being found by him and like the ghost passed on to him there even that's what i'm uh, saying <laughs> yeah but he, i think that i think that maybe if we're going by the possession thing that yeah, that's that's when it happens it happen. when miles yeah. when miles found him dead yeah now it, the line that she says that quint had such power over people is uh also underscoring that idea that you know he he could have lived on and but at the same time it could be just the influence of the man on this impressionable young boy. Yeah. You know, cause she uh, says that yeah. miles admired him a lot and was mm-hmm. always hanging around with him. Yeah. Even though like he was apparently not a good guy. Right. He could probably be one of those guys who is charming to the people that he wanted to be charming to, to overpower them, take, make them think that he wasn't as bad as he really was. I don't know what I'm saying. Right, you get, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> then we have the creepy poem. Yeah. Miles I love this. Reads. this child actor, by the way, I mean, Flora, whoever plays Flora is good too, but the kid who plays miles, he's got some moments where you absolutely believe that he's an adult in a child's body. And he's so good. The, the actor's name is Martin Stevens. And he was also in village of the damned, which, uh, ah. Which is a cool movie. I like that movie. I sort of like an ex- great extended Twilight Zone episode. Um, but he was in a, just a handful of movies, it looks like. Um, Flora, played by Pamela Franklin, uh, is in The Legend of Hell House as well. Oh. And uh, yeah, The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. And Soon the Darkness, which is one I just heard about recently as well. Um, as one that... I am going to add to my watch list because I just heard about that one recently. And it sounds really good. Um, so she's she's been a handful of, of films as well. All right. And this is also where we found out that Quint and Miss Jessel were together. And they had a relationship. We don't really get the depth of it just just yet. No, no, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, okay. But then you see the, the sequence. After hearing about Miss Jessel and everything that's when again we have this whole idea of okay now she sees this woman in black who for all we know it could have been anna that crossed the hall earlier you know sees this woman standing in the reeds i mean and it's really eerie it's really great she's 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 not shots i think of the movie (laughs) she's not on the shore like she is in the book she's out in the middle of the lake Kind of just among the the reeds. It's really great. It's which is sort of she's a little blurry. How, yeah, which is kind of reminded me of how Miss Giddens first meets Flora. Yes, Flora's kind of like on those rocks or something in the uh-huh. middle of like a little 
part of the water and she like, you know, steps over the rocks, you know, to get to her. So Yeah. I liked that little parallel. I think that's there's something there. Yeah. Now, after she tells Ms. Gross that she's seen this, Ms. Gross says, at least, that she believes her, which I think is an interesting thing. Well, when she asks Flora, this is another thing that's really good about just the way that it's kind of played out. When she asks Flora, like, you know, who is that? The look on Flora's face is, is really good because you don't know if she's hiding that she can see her or that she really can't. can't. <laughs> right. You can't really get a good read on like her her reaction to that. Is this right, the one she asked right. her about if turtles can swim too? Uh, I, th- I think so. Yeah. <laughs> what is such a creepy thing? Yeah. Now, one of the things that also though is later Miss Gross says that she can't see anything. You know when she should have been able to see it if it was in fact there. So I don't know. It's it's all. That, but that could be, it appears to certain people or, you know, all kinds yeah. of possibilities, right? Now, Mrs. Gross uh, says, you know, uh, so Miss Giddens asks, were they in love? She has yeah. this feeling and says, well, yes, essentially, but Quint was a cruel man and he beat her, which but she also lines says that up Ms. with Jess- what we know. Yeah, but she also says that Miss Jessel... Let him. implies that she kind of liked it yeah that she would like crawl on her hands and knees to you know to to be with him and beg sure. for more that's what i'm thinking it's like some kind of like sadomasochistic thing going right. on right and right. I, I love the subtlety here too and and one of the lines of her like describing things that they would do she says like uh rooms would be like how does it go i, I didn't write it down exactly she like, they would use the rooms like dark dark woods at night Oh, basically yeah, saying that yeah. they would like mm-hmm. fuck in the rooms, right? And they didn't care that people could see them. Oh, it's a big <laughs> or house. Know about it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you just know it's like it's like that's what you're trying to say. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, and then the way that um, in this scene too, where Miss Giddens sa- says the innocence, mm-hmm. you know, as though the children are absolutely aware of what they're doing, and the ghosts are using them is what she. Uh, implies here not that necessarily they're possessed yeah they were using them and they still are is what she says yeah 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 uh and then we have that great the dream sequence dream sequence and then that repetition of the line it's a secret it's a secret uh is is really effective great sequence uh one of the best dream sequences that I can think of in just about any movie. And I love dream sequences in movies. Um, and obviously in, in things like the Sopranos, we talked about that as well. Um, <laughs> it captures the feeling of a dream really well, where it's sort of like these disparate images that don't necessarily go together, but kind of do. And the way they layer on top of each other, uh, it's just beautifully shot. It's so effective. It And there's a lot of, implications i think as she's starting to put things together of her idea what's going on this isn't there are some shots of like the two of them holding hands and the way they're whispering is kind of like lovers whispering the whole it's a secret thing yeah Yeah. those little things that are are dropped in there but they could also she could also just be like totally seeing something that's not there too oh 100 (laughs) percent absolutely (laughs) 
Absolutely. Now, um, the whole thing where we this is where we find out where um, how Miss Jessel died. She was drowned, and Miss Gross says she was found in wickedness. You know, mm-hmm. meaning that she committed suicide. She killed herself. Yeah. Yeah. So she drowned in the lake, and then that's when she's like, "I'm going to go and see their uncle in London. I'm going to go because." This is beyond what I can. But then you are reminded of the uncle and he doesn't care. (laughs) He doesn't doesn't care. He doesn't want to be bothered. (laughs) You got to take care of it yourself no matter what happens. You know, so. okay. well, then here's my question, then, if we're um, of what happened, if we're going with the ghost possession thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it went that Quint possessed Miles when he found him dead and then. Miles was kind of working on Miss Jessel to kill, kill herself, herself to then possess Flora. Yeah. That, Is that would, what you think probably uh, would have happened? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. If if it's the if it is indeed the possession angle. If it's not <laughs> Then Miss Giddens just, is she just died of crazy. a broken heart. Yeah. yeah Miss Giddens is just is, crazy. Yeah. Um which I don't know. I haven't decided what I think. I don't know. I, ca- I kind of like, don't. I, I don't. I kind of don't want to decide. Yeah. I don't want to decide. Yeah. I like it both ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's what makes it so good. Uh, then you know, this is where she sees Miss Giddens in the schoolroom, mm-hmm. um, and again, you hear the buzzing fly and the sort of the the weeping sound and the seeing the teardrop. Which could be, it could have been a million things. It could have been a raindrop. It could have been a drop of water that fell on that. It could have been her imagination. Yep. You know, yep. it, there, yeah. So there she's like, I'm not going to go. I'm going to take care of this myself. Um, from now on, we can never let them out of our sight. We can't take the chance because the children are possessed by them. It's not just they're being manipulated. They are fully possessed by I, I keep on wanting to say Peter Quill, but Peter Quill is <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Peter Quint. 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 Shark's got black eyes like a doll's eyes. Um <laughs> So anyway, I just thought of something. What if Robert Shaw had played Peter Quint in uh <laughs> anyway. Miss um, Gross does say that like the night Quint died was like the coldest, darkest, like blackest winter's night or something. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. That's wonderful. Um, now this is the this is the famous candelabra scene where she goes out into the uh, just through the hallways, and the way this is shot, it's so disorienting. Yeah. You just don't know where you're at. You don't know what I, you're yeah. seeing. I don't know where she is or like what direction she's going in the house. Yeah. And the way they shot it is off. there's so much light con- coming from those candles. And I guess this there's a little behind the scene thing. They they made candles that had like four wicks in them so that they would burn really, really bright with really, really tall flames. And that became a nightmare of continuity because they would melt down so fast. Sure. So, <laughs> so, so they, uh, but it, but it works. It, it, the continuity I works. I mean, you never, like you never, that, you never yeah. notice anything off. Um, but it is, uh, 
it's really, really effective. And it's so creepy because there's there is that sense of something could just pop out of the darkness at any time because she's so surrounded by and the the blacks are so black in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's really frightening. And it's just like during the opening credits. Yeah, right. It's like that kind of black, black. Yeah. And the the sound design again in this part is just uh. Oh yeah, and you you This hearing... is one of those scenes that kind of gives you like a like a horror movie like boner pretty much. It's like <laughs> this is the shit that I love. You know? That's kind of what I was thinking. I was like this is what gets me excited about horror. This is why I love this shit cuz this is so cool. <laughs> well, you hear Miss Jessel laughing and there's the echoing effect. Well, how does it start? It starts with like, like shh the children are listening. I love that. It's listening. like so fucking creepy. It's like you're, you're, the, the, you know, you're, you're hurting me. Um, and love me, love me, kiss me, kiss, kiss me. me you know, Knock chil- before you enter. <laughs> you're right. The children are watching. Um, it's, ooh, yeah. It's so, well, oh, it's great. And the way it culminates where she goes into the bedroom but Flora's not in her bed. She's, she's like is being she's been kidnapped at first because she doesn't see her there she is at the window and somebody's walking in the garden he looks out and it's miles and then the whole why did you do all that and he says something like i wanted you to think me bad for a change i'm a i'm, I'm a bad boy there's a <laughs> you know yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um there's a anyway. freaking dead pigeon under the his dead pillow, pigeon so. under his pillow. Um, um, kiss me. Good night. Miss okay. that. That <laughs> is, I mean, if there was any question, <laughs> this is not subtle. I mean, he kisses no. her like, like he's 35 years old. I mean, he's just like, he, like he's very experienced. So she doesn't exactly pull away. No, either no there's a lot of weird stuff about about that <laughs> yeah and it's 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 unnerving and there's a close-up of their faces uh uh-huh. of their lips you know it's their lips. partial partial yeah and it's um and there's like oh it's creepy <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah i mean there's a thing where you, she's very confused uh-huh and conflicted about that moment <laughs> I think so because she probably very, very good reason, but she probably like, has some a feeling of some sort that she did not that she knows is wrong that is hitting yeah. her too. So, but sh- that she also thinks that it was an adult, but there's also, but she believes stuff. he's possessed by an adult too. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, she is Quint, and then there's also that the stuff that we don't know about her going on. There's the sexual repression Uh that you get from her character. Totally. She's always wearing those buttoned up dresses and everything like that, you know, and she's clearly a, you know, a beautiful woman who has, is often, it's often commented that she's a beautiful woman. Yes. It's not, but she's also in this time, this was the late 1800s, right? She's, kind of old or you know yeah for she that is time. she is yeah she's a spinster basically yeah. why mm-hmm. yeah right right that's a that's <laughs> an excellent <laughs> you point. know excellent point uh so not that being a spinster is bad i am one who keeps <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but at this time, this period, time period, it was, in this time period it was a, a much bigger deal yeah yes 
Um, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so, something going on with her. Yeah. And she does have a line that she says to Miss Gross at one point. Doesn't she say like there's there's something I haven't told you? Uh, I think she's talking about herself. I'm sure. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we don't we don't know everything. We know nothing about her past. About yeah. yeah. Her family. Well, she does have one thing that she says about her dad later on at the end of the movie, basically. And that's it. Yeah. Hey, maybe it's like Bly Matter. What haunting a Bly Manor makes explicit, and she's a lesbian. Could be. You know, I mean, there there are all sorts of of possibilities of what could be going on. Um, okay, so next morning, the playing the piano there. He's playing the Willow Whaley song again this time. Mm-hmm. Um, while Miss Giddens is writing the uncle, she's kind of disturbed by the song by this point. It, it, she's sort of perturbed when she hears it now because Flora sings that and you're playing that. And uh, you know, there's, there's a, it's not really said, she doesn't say she doesn't want to hear it, but it's, there's a sense of discomfort about it. Yeah. Um, and, I think. and while this happens, you know, Flora disappears. She just, where does she go? She takes Mrs. Gross to go out and look for her, finds her dancing in she that sort exactly of where she is, stone where gazebo. Yeah. This in the, yeah, exactly. She's dancing like the ballerina in the music box, which again plays the song. Right. And, well, um, and also something Mrs. Gross um, said earlier about Miss Jessel is that she loved music and she loved to dance. Right. And, Flora says in here, like, this is where I come when I want to dance, when I want to be alone. Yeah. There's another possibility that just occurs to me. Maybe the kids are fucking with her. <laughs> it could be. They could you know? be like two spoiled, bored kids. Yeah. You know, they just want to. They, wanna they lost their parents. They lost, they lost their, their parents. parents. They lost their like, governess. Lost their governess. And it's like, maybe they didn't really like their last governess that much. And just like, hey, let's let's concoct this little mischievous little ghost story and see if fuck maybe they killed quentin russell <laughs> it could be i mean I, let's let's that's dark territory there but i mean that's what this movie deals in right mm-hmm. um so it's like she's not a child she's a very old woman okay why does she which say is like weird that? which is weird isn't it because miss jessel was not was a very young. old woman yeah <laughs> um it's very fascinating. Um, and then sees Miss Jessel again, this time watching Flora. She starts like yelling at Flora to, to demand and that she Flora, say that she can see her. Right. And Flora says something like when she first sees, oh, I thought someone was watching me. Uh, when That's what she says to Miss Giddens when there's the implication that, oh, Miss Jessel is watching her too yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. and then flora <laughs> absolutely insists that she cannot see anything she goes kind of wild after this she yeah has, like, this is when she has a kind of fit. screaming fit yeah. um it's like in all my years i've never heard such obscenities which again makes me think of the exorcist uh <laughs> you know um it's uh, the possession yeah it's jessel mm-hmm. but you know and and or not <laughs> right and and you know that is that is one of the quote-unquote symptoms of possession is 
bad language, a child using language they wouldn't use, right? Mrs. Gross plans... Mrs. Gross then takes Flora to their uncle. I mean, it's finally... So now you have Miles and uh, Giddens in the house alone. Alone. Which is... And and he the, again all these comments about being grown up is you know I feel very grand and grown up I feel like the master of the house um, there is a man in the house me I'll protect you uh, all of that, all that kind of stuff, is yeah. is very much like he's older he's her age he's um, well her pursuer too not just protector a pursuer I think. And Mrs. Gross does give a warning before she leaves, too, to Miss Giddens, saying that uh, waking a child from a nightmare can mm. be worse than the actual nightmare. Right. Because it's the shock of being woken up. Well, I... that also <laughs> leads into a possibility for the ending. You know, well, I mean, the so. whole idea, the whole idea also of like, you know, waking bad luck to wake a sleepwalker and things yeah. like that. Yeah, there's lots of weird stuff from Miles. I think it's, again, if it's Quint, he's kind of realizing that he can more reveal himself to her now. I love the, like, not-so-subtle thing where he, like, slaps the the jello or mold or whatever that is. (laughs) Like, okay, come on. (laughs) Slapping that ass, yeah. It's like slapping her ass, sure. (laughs) And then he does, there's one line where... Miles refers to, I think it's it's Quint. It's supposed to, I think it's supposed to be like Quint talking through Miles, but referring to Miles as he. Mm-hmm. But he's but he's saying it, you know. Right. <laughs> so it's very it's very odd. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's there's lots of things. She's trying to press him here. She's really, mm-hmm. you know, excuse me. The why were you in the garden? You know, the real reason, you know, well, maybe there was no real reason. Maybe he was just like he said, just trying to be a little mischievous. You know, he's a kid. I mean, he's he's going to be testing his limits and boundaries, you know, uh-huh. at that age. He's right at that age where he's testing that stuff. Right. Um, then, you know, why were you expelled? And he says he heard things at night. That frightened the other boys. Well, that could be he's possessed or hearing the voices of Peter Quint, or it could be he's just more observant than the other children. You know, he could be just more intuitive and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then (laughs) the little screed he goes on, Quint appears at the greenhouse window and calls her a hag and a hussy, (laughs) starts laughing at her. Um well, he tells her that... And throws Rupert through the window. Aw, I know. Poor Rupert. Poor Rupert. <laughs> well, she also... I think he says, kind of for the first time in the movie, too, that he tells her that she's afraid that she's mad. Right. Which is like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of what we've been thinking the whole right. movie. But no right. one's ever really said it before. Right. Like, exactly. Mrs. Gross has always been, like, very supportive of, like, her beliefs like is she sure placating her does she right suspect i which i think she might be i might you be. know um and but then when they're out in the circular garden you know that that this final sequence is is uh mm-hmm. you know he says you know forgive me i didn't mean it you know 
and and she's oh it wasn't you this is where um, i think that there's a little bit of the real miles yeah i think so too finally coming out yeah um and and you know just the whole idea you know say his name and he'll leave you it'll all be over now what he it goes around shows the statues and it shows peter quint on one of the pillars just kind of looming over her her perspective again we don't know that it's his um it cuts back and we see the actual statue kind of over them um and then, but he does say the name Peter Quint. He does say Peter Quint, Peter Quint, Peter Quint. And then it's like he has a seizure or a heart attack or a brain embolism or something and just drops. Um, well, when when she's saying, like, he's here, like, say his name, he, Miles is like, where? Right. Uh-huh. And, and, and there's, where, so there's this devil? sense of, you know, he, he just is under so much stress in that moment that <laughs> she essentially kills him. That's one way to look at it. Or mm-hmm. the idea that Quint leaving his body yeah, killed him. Is what, is what killed him. Yeah. Waking, again, waking a child from a nightmare mm-hmm. is more dangerous than the actual nightmare. Yeah. Like Mrs. Gross said. Yeah. So and then you know it just goes back to the black and the and the hands again and the and the, she kisses him she kisses him back that's right I didn't jot that down but yeah yeah because she doesn't realize at first that that he's dead and because she's like cradling him like mm-hmm. a child like an innocent child right she's been so obsessed like she she loves children more than anything obsessed with the the innocence. Right. Of children. Yeah. And, thing, and then she sees his face and sees that he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. And it just ends on that note with it's just, you know, the what exactly happened. What happened? And what, and then the what happens next of it all is never answered. That is, I think, shows a lot of confidence from the filmmakers. And it also shows a lot of confidence from the filmmakers to the audience to say they can handle this. They are intelligent enough to deal with this. And I like that when a movie does that, you know, where it doesn't say, okay, we got to spoon feed this all to you and lay it out for you. So you get every little thing. You got to have a monologue explaining what's happening. Right. This, (laughs) this movie forces you to go out into your life and think about it. And that's one of the things that I really like about it. Yeah. I think like we both said, we don't really want to make a, a decision. I kind of, no, I don't want to make I, a I, I kind of like it. Yeah. I like it both ways. <laughs> either way, either way, it's a fascinating. Don't say that. Come on. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just like, I do like it both ways. I, I know. I like, that was, <laughs> I was like, is, is that the way you meant it? Just the way you said it just cracked me up. I'm sorry. I like the possession angle. I like yeah. the there's something wrong with her with Miss Giddens angle. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Either They're, one is. I just like the kids just, are fucking with a, her angle. I know. Yeah. That's yeah, a new one. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Maybe it was them all along, and they're yeah, they're yeah. they're gaslighting or making her crazy. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Because there is a certain amount of manipulation you see in both of the kids, mm-hmm. you know, of them Absolutely. just. And is that because of them being possessed or not? Great movie. So yeah, glad is, to revisit this uh, one. Me too. This is yeah. so much better than I was expecting it to be on a, on a rewatch. Like I said, not really thinking much of it the first time. Right. Now it's, especially now talking about it, you know, as usually happens, like now I think it's kind of a favorite. Right. So. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Love finding those, rediscovering those kinds of movies. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So we've had a few conversations about how we should cover what movies we should cover. And that always ends up a little bit of discussion on, you know, who's going to pick what and things like that. So here's a real conversation between Michelle and I, here's Michelle. I don't know if we can do (laughs) me and Earl and the dying girl because it's just too sad. It's too sad. No, too sad, Brian, too sad. Also, Michelle, Hey Brian, let's do the orphanage. (laughs) What, what, What do you mean by that? My gosh. Okay, so it's I got a super happy ending, the orphanage. Right. But, right. Nope. Right. <laughs> well, okay, to be honest with you, the first time I saw okay, I'm I'm really sensitive. Probably overly sensitive, I guess, I should say, about what happens at the end of this movie. About okay. that being depicted in films, you know. Um and and so the first time I saw this, I I had a little something in me that was kind of like, I don't know if I like that. Okay. So. I'm not sure which element you're talking about. <laughs> um, I just, I struggle with suicide being depicted okay. in movies in a positive way. And so. I don't know that this was positive. I know. I know. I know. I know. Stick with me. Stick with okay. me here. So the, so the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, okay, that's, that's, that's a little rough for me. I'm going to have to deal with this a little bit and wrestle with it a little. I mean, I had the same reaction with, and I don't know that it's depicted positively in that either, but with Harold and Maude, because, and I think I mentioned this before, mm-hmm. because it's the, the, his fake suicides throughout the movie are played for laughs. And the first time seeing that, and I've only seen it once, Harold and Maude, um, that really bugged me. Until I saw the ending and I was like, okay, they're making a point here. So I think if I saw it again, I would have a very different experience watching that movie. That was true this time watching this film. Um, It's a, it's bittersweet where it ends up. And obviously we just spoiled the ending, but you know, it's, uh, but I think it's interesting how it's played and um, knowing where it was going earlier and kind of seeing the clues set up on a second viewing actually made the film more effective, which doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes after, you know, the twist it's like the twist is everything that the movie is and you can't really get that back. That's not really true with this one. I don't think, uh, I think sometimes like the Shyamalan movies, for example, they don't stand up to multiple viewings because the twist is what the movie is about. Uh, I think, in middle, maybe do a second viewing and that's about it. And then you're done uh, with having that movie be effective necessarily. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. this one, I think it's not 
totally so reliant on the twist that it that it doesn't hold up uh, to multiple viewings. There are some parts like watching it again, knowing the ending. I mean, just watching her move that scaffolding back into yeah, exactly. the closet. You're you're like, oh my god! That, that is just it's, brutal. You remember it being yeah. such a minor thing, and that's yeah. they do it perfectly, yeah. like where you don't even think about it. Because that, I mean, that's the whole point of that scene. Just to you know, nope, this this isn't important, but yeah. it kind of is, you know, in that kind of sneaky way that filmmakers do. But and then the second time it just it hits you like a truck. It's devastating. Yeah. But I do think that that is why I responded so much to this film the first time I I saw this is that for a lot of it it kind of is the typical ghost mystery solve the, yeah. the you know follow the clues and solve like what happened in this house to these people but then the ending um, is what really makes it special. I think it makes it unique and different from a lot of other ghost films because it's, yeah, I think bittersweet is, has always been how I've described it too. Yeah. The final shot is very haunting to me this time around. It's haunting. It's, it's depending on how you're watching it, how you see it, you know, at the time, it could be either something uplifting, hopeful, or it can be just absolutely tragic and devastating. Yeah. You know, people, I, I, I could understand people reading it, you know, either way. And sometimes I read it some, like, some ways I'm like happy sure. crying at the end. And sometimes I'm like sad crying yeah. uh, at the end watching this. And I think that's, that's definitely what makes this movie um, stand out. And I've, I've loved this from the moment I saw it, like, years and years ago. I don't remember how I, I heard about it or how I saw it, but... It's been um, a huge favorite for a long time and definitely one that needs to be talked about more. I think the people that know sure. about it really champion for it because it's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it. Yeah, I've only seen it for the first time within the last year. So uh, this is my second viewing of it in a, a reasonably short amount of time. It's been since I've known you and we've been doing this show that we've that I've seen it. So it's only within the last two years. So this was one of those recommendations where we're like, Oh, you have to see that. So I was right. Was I not? Yeah, you were. I think it might've been around <laughs> after I wrote that, um, devil's backbone piece. And this is actually a nice, uh, I mean, there's the Guillermo del Toro connection, but he's a producer on this, like executive producer. I think yeah. he helped his name attached to it, helped get it made. Sure. More than anything. Probably help get it seen, uh, too. Mm-hmm. And help get internationally. it Internationally. Yes. Uh, so there's that. But I don't feel like his hands are all over this one either. Mm-mm. But the spirit of what he goes for in Devil's Backbone, I think, is here. And so there's even the line, you know, what is a ghost, <laughs> I think, comes up. Um, uh, <laughs> which, yeah. which is which is the big question of that starts and ends the Devil's Backbone. Um, so... This, um, I just, as far as notes went for this one, uh, just so you know, I basically, I didn't write down a lot of insights. I just wrote down pretty much something that happens in every scene. So it's, it's, it's very, it's very plot pointed, but I think that can help guide us a little bit in this one because there's a, uh, I think there's a lot of symbolism happening Throughout mm-hmm. the course of the movie, uh, obviously, you have big ones like the lighthouse. That's a big symbol. Um, and then you have uh, things like the pills and stuff that recur as well, the dolls and things like that. 
So, uh, and of course, the game, the children's games. Yes. So I think a lot of it is about childhood and fantasy and fairy tales. There's Mm -hmm. a lot about fairy tales and storytelling. Peter Pan. Peter Pan, Hansel and Gretel is in here. Yes. Yes, that's right. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's Hansel and Gretel is pretty much the whole the, the idea of the breadcrumbs. I mean, that's what this whole movie this whole movie is like breadcrumbs leading up to that ending. Every line is like a breadcrumb leading up to the ending too. Sometimes when you're uh, watching or, it again, uh. or perhaps a seashell. Mm-hmm. Seashells. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now I like movies that start with children's games. This is something okay. that is, <laughs> is that a common thing? It is. It's I was thinking about that because it starts off the movie M. There's the children's okay. game that they're playing in a circle. <laughs> uh, it's about how the killer is going to come and get them. So it's like, you know, a ring around the rosy kind of that dark sure. thing. Um of course there's one two Freddy's coming for you the the of jump course. rope song. Um <laughs> But this one is an actual, and, and then then uh, the Conjuring has hide and clap, uh, which is uh, sure. which sets up. It doesn't start with that, but it's a great scare, and it's uh, it, oh god, it, it sets yeah. up one so of the good. best best scares in modern movies. So um, does uh, I don't know this one not, does pretty this, good too. Yeah, but f- I don't. I don't it's, know not really, I it's, feel it's not really scare. scared about it though. There's but it's a, very it's creepy it, and it's cool and mm-hmm. it, at the same time I love that scene so much. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things that's interesting about this movie as a ghost movie is the ghosts are, I mean, they're mysterious, but I don't know if they're scary exactly mm-hmm. because um, there's a there's a a knowing who they are. I think she by the time she's really seeing them. She knows that they're her friends and she's not really afraid in the same way that that's getting way ahead of ourselves here. But, um, (laughs) but this game, this one, two, three, knock on the wall game, which is like our version of like red light, green light, red light, green light. Yeah. Yeah. It sets up the uh, the setting, which was one of the things that made me fall in love with this movie so much is the setting Mm -hmm. of this orphanage um sea by the sea by a cave and everything of the beach i'm like i'll move in there like right now please oh, no doubt uh, yeah and the house is, beautiful. the house is beautiful too it's, inside it's and out house. yeah yeah uh which you know so's bly manor frankly i, I mean living we talked about that <laughs> you know living on the grounds sure. of bly manor as a kid i mean hell yeah on, that'd be amazing <laughs> Just even that one scene where she's like going around the house, like trying to match up the doorknob. I mean, this kind of made me think, yeah, like, oh, every, everything about every little detail about this house is so unique that there's like 27 different types of doorknobs going You're on right. here. Mm-hmm. I love stuff like that. So, um, very cool, like old school stuff. So, like, the story here is basically the, the kids that are playing uh-huh. this game at the beginning, the one who's kind of leading it is is Laura, or the main character. That's when she was a kid, and she lived at, in this house orphanage, that used yeah. to be an orphanage. And now that she's older and has a husband and son of her own, she is buying the place again and gonna open a house for uh, disabled children uh, that she's going to take care of. Yeah, and you know, some kind of, of the, paying it, kind of paying it forward or paying it yeah, back in a way. It yeah. seems like, and there is some distinctive things in that opening sequence. Like you see that 
one of the children has leg braces, another one has mm-hmm. like a, a a headgear, you know, like to fix a, a jaw problem. Um, so there is some of those distinctive things, that, right? Those things that come back later, and it 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 sort of sets up the compassion that Laura has, you know, right from the beginning, and it sets up the the connection between the kids like because it's it's Mm -hmm. one of the people in charge of the orphanage getting a phone call that laura has been adopted yeah and she says specifically like oh your friends are gonna miss you laura yeah (laughs) like i said that's what i love i love so much about watching this over and over again was just like all those lines um that different characters say again kind of like heartbreaking um, at the same time, like when you, you didn't really think much about him the first time you hear him because you don't know the story when you hear it again, like when you hear um, Simone say something about how it's like, oh, I'm never going to grow up. Right. <laughs> You're yes. just like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I mean, again, it's the reading the book that underscores the thematics of the movie. But, you know, <laughs> sure. I mean, <laughs> That's the way it goes. I mean, that, every book, pieces of literature do that all the time. So It works um, so well in this movie, though. I it think does. that yeah. the, it really fits in with, I think, with the story that they're trying to say. And, and again, being able to read it two different ways. I think that mm-hmm. the childlike element kind of makes it hopeful. But yeah. in, in real life, it's, it's extremely tragic. Right. Um, now, when she's woken up by Simone, her... Now... My understanding is he does not know at this point that he was adopted. No. Yeah. Right. Okay. He so, doesn't know that he's adopted or that he's sick. Yeah. Or that he's sick. Right. And so he um, wakes up screaming and they're just kind of already there. I mean, it doesn't have this whole moving day thing or anything like that. It's just there. Which I like. Yeah. Yeah. It, just get right into it. It just goes for it. There's there's a lot of shoe leather that could be in this that are taken out. You know, you don't see Laura taken away by the new parents and sort of the cliches that are shown in all kinds of sure. adoption movies or whatever. Um, Efficiency so, of storytelling. There yeah, you go. Get it, yeah. Get it yeah. done. To the point that it's almost, if you're not paying close enough attention, uh, for me, I even watching it this time had to catch up a little bit with it. It's like, okay, so this is Laura for sure. Or is this someone else is, has time skipped, you know, that there's a little bit of, it's not that it's hard to follow, but I had to play catch up a little bit. There's a lot of information. Uh, sure. Yeah. I remember having yeah. that problem too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Putting it all together. Yeah. I do like the scene where she, they are talking about the lighthouse. Simone clearly mm-hmm. knows about this building that her his mother is connected to to it that she grew up there uh the lighthouse doesn't work anymore he says uh, it's it does work but its light is invisible the light is invisible and protects us from evil so she uses the reflection from the clock to kind of make it on the window to make it look like the light is working and Mm -hmm. that's a neat moment because and also foreshadowing of course it's important i think the lighthouse is such an important symbol you know, the empty lighthouse. It's almost like in the living world, the lighthouse doesn't work because nothing can 100% protect you in this world. But in the spirit world, it does work. Yeah. Because they will always be safe in that place. And I, I don't know. I That's... 
it's you always have a guide you'll always I, have a protector right yeah. i think there's almost a sense of the spiritual the uh protecting deity whatever that is represented in the lighthouse um that it can only 100 percent be recognized after you're dead i don't know what's the first time you can't or, really know before that in a way i don't know it's very i, I was kind of thinking too also that laura was the lighthouse uh, like for the children mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in a way yeah, too yeah that's a good that's how they saw her uh-huh well she's their first protector when she arrives she's a grown-up who has come mm-hmm. to neverland you know, as it mm-hmm. were, where none of the rest of them have been able to grow up. Um, so, uh, yeah, I hope people are listening have actually seen this seen movie, the movie before. Because there's... There's, I don't know if there's a way to talk about this without spoiling the ending. It's, I, I know. Yeah. Everything is going to be like, hey, and this is a clue to what's going to happen. So, why as well yeah. just like, <laughs> we right. know what's going to happen. Well, and I mean, that, yeah, Peter Pan is a, is a big mm-hmm. symbol uh, story. Um, I don't really, really know, like, um, I can't metaphor, think of the right word. metaphor, and yeah. it just it just works side by side along with the story that we're we're mm-hmm. seeing here. We also learn that, yeah, Simone has imaginary friends, and he's sort of prone to that. That's something yeah. that is very common Watson for him. Watson and Pepe. <laughs> Uh, I, I do like it with the parents playing the piano. That'll kind of come back a little bit when we talk about the changeling uh, in the, the future. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, what? We are? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Who said I that? I have no idea. Who said okay. that? <laughs> okay. Um, but then we also have this, Simone, take your pill. Um, so what What are these pills? The pills kind of make me think, again, a Hansel and Gretel. because. Yeah, the main reason why is because a new nightmare. New nightmare. <laughs> they literally the use the pills as the breadcrumbs. Uh, I was gonna say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then Hansel and Gretel comes back again. They take a trip to the the cave that's mm-hmm. um, out by the lighthouse on the beach, and Simon see supposedly sees somebody in Tomas. the cave that he's talking yeah. to Tomas. Uh, his new friend and he drops the shells on on their way home so that his new friend can come back and, and play with him then they get a visit from a social worker Benigna. huh yeah Benigna. Benigna. <laughs> this is this is an interesting thing knowing where it goes of course too because mm-hmm. we know that she's not really a social worker she yeah. used to work in the orphanage in fact and they talk about the simon's disease we learn here uh He's HIV positive. Yeah. And so the pills that he's taking are like the cocktail that keep the HIV from becoming AIDS. And and uh, Laura's husband, Carlos, is a doctor. Yeah. So they've chosen not to tell him about it just yet. Probably just wait till he's a little bit older and he can understand. But, you know, they're they're still they're good parents they're taking care of him so he got the virus i would assume uh, in utero in utero Uh, that that's i think the uh what's implied in this and this is where we also it's like simon does not know he's adopted um and it's and yeah so there's that now the thing, the I, I find it interesting. The first time we hear something go bump in the night in this movie, uh-huh. it is something that is real. 
It is something that mm-hmm. is not in the spirit world. It is something from the real There's world. There's a couple of things that are yeah. real bumps in yeah. the night. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> yes, I, 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 fair enough. But in this case, I mean, it's that the door slamming and she goes down there and <laughs> she finds Benigna inside the, the, like the tool shed thing and she just runs off into the night that is one of the weirdest she sequences yeah, she has I a know. shovel well and the shovel thing comes back because she tries to pry those doors mm-hmm. open with the shovel so i think i assume that's what benigna is planning to do yeah i think um, that's what she was doing yeah i think like just her look too like those glasses and the way she's filmed mm-hmm. in that scene it's like she almost looks kind of like a ghost in, she the, does. in the shed too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so you're not really sure if that was real or not <laughs> was right. she real or not she wasn't a real social worker right right but she obviously she is but as she, the she way is that a, the, yeah. it's filmed is is very cool to me yeah and i like this bit where the doorbell rings and she answers the door in the morning right and there are these not just there's a pile of shells. It's like piles of shells. It's not just one <laughs> or two. It's it's tons of them, and you know, all the way like down the steps and everything. It's so yeah. Tomas um, has come home. That's right. Da, da, da. That's right. You know, and then Simone They're reading Peter be, Pan and it, yeah. Again, like throughout the movie, this is kind of set up as Tomas being kind of the main ghost. Ghost. I would say. Yeah. He's, he's supposed to be up. the frightening ghost, I think. Yeah, he's supposed to be scary, but then you realize that he's really not It's a very tragic thing, yeah. It's much yeah. more... Yeah. It's, it's more... It's a little Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> in, a, in a way, you mm-hmm. know? That's what I was um, thinking, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I remember, like... And I don't know if I still do or not, but kind of questioning Tomas's intentions a little bit. Maybe at least at first, if he was still, like, the angry ghost... About mm. what happened to him. Because by the end, have, he's not angry I have, anymore. No. Cause, so I have questions maybe when we get to s- some of those parts. But here is when we we kind of say what the metaphor of the movie is. When, You're when right. They're talking, about, they're talking about Peter Pan. And he says. And talking about Neverland yeah. and asking yeah. uh, Laura how old she is. And when so she's Wendy die. grew up and she died. Yeah. And, yeah but oh, yeah. her <laughs> child was taken back to Neverland every year by Peter and. Okay, but but the thing is, then he just says, "I won't grow up," uh, yeah. which is well, because she says, "Like, oh, she's not that she's not going to die until he's very, very old," and he's right. like, "I'll never grow up." <laughs> and he says, "Like gonna, my friends who won't like grow my up. new friends." Does Wait. he say they can't grow up? I think he says they can't grow up. Yeah, they can't grow up. Yeah, yeah. Which again, like that's the kind of stuff that just cuts you like a knife when you know the ending is like because you know that what she's thinking in this moment is that he's got some kind of instinct that he's sick right or whatever and that maybe he won't live very long and she's yeah, scared certainly. of that but you know what it, it really ends up mean, meaning <laughs> yeah it, you, definitely <sighs> do. you definitely do now the, the laura finds a drawing of the kids and she recognizes i think all of these kids in this picture, one of them has the hood over the head. Um, I wonder why she doesn't with really a face on it. Say she anything. doesn't. She just kind of lets it go. Um, she like, must recognize the kids and the outfits and yeah. everything. You know. Yeah, because I mean, they're the uniforms they wore as, as orphans in the building. And then this is where we get into another thing where um, that becomes kind of the main 
theme or part of uh, what's going on here in the story the, is the that treasure, the treasure, the treasure hunt, hunt yeah, the treasure mm-hmm. game, and it's uh, something that uh, Simone says his new friends have have taught him uh, a game that they play, and it's that where they take one of your treasures, just something that you love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They take it away and you have to find it. And if you find it, you get to make a wish. Right. So they go on. Um, I love the scene where they, they go it's, on this little treasure hunt scene, yeah. that's been set up. I mean, where it culminates is very sad and, <laughs> you know, kind of disturbing because uh-huh. <laughs> he finds the papers yeah, he, he, from the social worker that say medical file. his medical yeah. file. Yeah. It says, you know, you're not my mother. You're a liar. Tomas told me that's that, that for for a kid it's like how how first of all she's like how did you actually find this out mm. you know uh, because obviously there's no such things as ghosts right <laughs> in this it, you know that, <laughs> that's how most people start out these kinds of stories right sure <laughs> um, but how does a child process something process like all that? that yeah because he's uh, supposed to, he's what seven years old seven yeah seven he thinks this is his mother and has always thought that and he finds out not from her not from you know the father I assume would be there too Carlos would be there too and have they would have this discussion where they really um, spell it out in a meaningful and caring way and say you know we we have to tell you this because uh, and it's going to be hard to hear maybe and you know really prepare the kid to take it mm-hmm. to just be hit by it unprepared yeah i i can't even imagine i mean you, you never know unless you're in that kind of situation how you would handle something like that right. i would think i think every person right would handle do, it differently yeah i would think the right thing to do was like have them know from the beginning you know, mm-hmm. and just as, at answer questions as they yeah. grow up. Yeah, I mean, I imagine. But then it would. It be, depends on the kid. It depends on the care. The sure. parents. It depends on the situation. Absolutely. Depends on how young they are when they're brought in. Yeah. You know, because um, if they don't remember being adopted, it's sort of like. Yeah. I don't know. It, it seems like it would be a real, real challenging thing. So I don't think that makes them bad parents oh no no no, no. i don't i don't think so either it's just because i imagine it's like oh we wanted to tell you but then it just didn't seem like the right time and it just never seems like the right it never seems like the right time and they move on so i can see how that could happen you know sure and seven just seems so young still (laughs) it does Uh, and (laughs) anyway i like how he starts the 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 next scene is them having like the conversation and someone's just like is santa claus a lie too <laughs> and they, they don't answer <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a good scene because i like the, the kid who plays um simone is so great like um that scene especially where um they're talking about uh peter pan and neverland and him never growing up so just sometimes the facial expressions that he can pull or just have something mm-hmm. like very knowing and, and wise behind them. Yeah. Very talented and young just, actors. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's adorable too. His little curly hair and everything. Yeah. Love him. I mean, sort of that having that distinctive look is makes mm-hmm. that ending all the more gut wrenching too, when it happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not going to cry. 
Not I'm gonna cry not, talking not, about not this movie. <laughs> well, okay, but now we have the uh, the the day of um, I guess it's some kind of like opening like yeah um, it's like no get to know mm -hmm. the people that are going to be running this home day for uh Mm -hmm. parents and uh children that will potentially be staying there yeah are coming they're having a party for them to to meet everybody everybody is able to pick out like really creepy like paper mache those paper mache masks are terrifying why are they so creepy why are they not just like those plastic goofy ones that you can get at the store (laughs) they had to pick the creepy ones yeah well, I mean, and then Simon wants to go to Tomas's little house, as he says. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is where I wonder a about fit. She slaps yeah. him and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is where I kind of question Tomas's intentions a little bit. Did you have the same thing, or is that just me? Where Tomas um, traps her in the yeah yeah, uh, like like he was behind Simon going missing. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's um, like he took he took someone to his little room in the basement, basically right. underneath the that little room in the stairs, and then trapped her in the bathroom where she couldn't find him right. or know where he was going. You know? Yeah. I don't. I don't know that he. Okay, if the game is for the the kids to take something that you love, like that's yeah. that's Simone. That's that's what Laura has to find throughout the movie yeah. is Simone. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they intended for him to die necessarily, or for both of them to die by the end. Right. But it's, did they so that they could be with them? That's 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 my question that I've always had about this one. Yeah. Or if they're I, just uh, making the best of what happened. Like sure. Tomas just wanted somebody to play with, and that's why he wanted. He was like, "I just want, I want to play with him." Like you lock in the bathroom so you can't find me, I, so can, I can have a friend. One of the reasons why and he I just feel like the unfortunately died. A, I think there's, <laughs> I think there are lots of shades of gray in this, and one of the dark elements in that is you get the sense that the children want Laura back. Mm-hmm. You that's know, it's like they missed her, <laughs> and so. It's almost like they engineer all of this to get her back, which the only way they can have her back Dead. is if she dies. Yeah. And so. That's what I'm wondering. Well, I'm part <laughs> what of you, what the. What did you think? When the medium comes through and says the question and you can only answer for yourself is how far are you willing to go to find your son? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I That's. uh I don't know. I find that's that's still why I kind of have a little <laughs> bit of bit of struggle with this ending too. You know, because anyway, we're we're a little bit ahead. I, I don't know. I don't know. I have a definitive <laughs> answer on whether they are playing and it's innocent, or they are playing with the intention of because uh, that seems like it's a lot of steps ahead to have to think. Oh, how are we going to get her to? Because it seems like Tomas's death itself is accidental. Yeah, it you is. know. Um, so I, I don't. Or Simone's death. Um, sorry. Yes, yes. Simone's death. Sorry, misspoke. Um, but the um, so it's not that there was necessarily intention for either of them to die, but. But maybe. Mm, 
but I I don't know that you know? the children are how innocent the children are still, you know, they're kind of frozen in time, but they had this horrible thing done to them and mm-hmm. oh yada yada. I don't know. It's it's really they, really tough to say for sure. And they don't ever really feel malicious. No. They they just want the you know, like any ghost movie, they just want the truth about you know how they died and what happened to or be maybe, revealed and to be free. They want, or maybe they, they don't necessarily. To take care of them. Yeah, they want they want someone to take care of them. And maybe they don't necessarily understand death as a separation or a bad thing, because they all have each other. They're always together, mm-hmm. um, and that's who they had. They had each other. Whereas it's tragic in here because obviously Simone. And Laura had Carlos. They all had each other. They had this family unit. And so that is separated at the end. And that's tragedy Yeah, that they don't necessarily understand either. They just want to complete what yeah. they used to have and bring Laura back to them. Yeah. And so they may not. They under, so it may, it yeah. may not, it may not be that they're, they're like, okay, well we, we need her to join us, but it's not necessarily in their eyes, a bad thing because there hasn't been this idea of separation except you know that laura went away but she went away before the rest of them were died murdered yeah yeah so uh hmm. i don't know it's a very uh there's a lot of speculation that can go into that one way or the other um you can see it as purely accidental but you can also see it as uh, they engineered it to have this outcome as well. So, yeah. Or they, it was accidental and they're just, they, they make the best of it, you know, by by seeing it as the Peter Pan and Wendy story by the end. Right. Maybe they don't have any control over what Laura does, but they try to give both her and Laura a, a hopeful ending in the afterlife. Sure. Hopeful, yeah. better, mm-hmm. a way that they can deal with it better (laughs) yeah it's a it's a complex set of ideas that are being grappled around here with when laura gets uh, locked in the bathroom because she kind of stumbles back or whatever nail trauma (laughs) oh yeah i know that that was rough that's rough for me i was like i i i i I, I, I couldn't i couldn't look i had to turn my eyes away why do people have to rip out their own nails just leave it that's so wrong don't do that do you know i I wouldn't do that i would put a band-aid on it and let it fall off naturally that's what exactly okay Just saying, just saying. But this is a horror movie, so they have to have a couple of, there are a couple of horrific moments, and that's one of them. Um, There's really only, I would say. There's that one and and the one where where the person gets hit. Yeah. Um, So, um, now. I like this part, too, when the police are. Yeah. Uh, searching, searching for Simone. Mm. They make, like, the their light, they're holding up flashlights. They make it kind of. The way when it comes towards camera, it very much looks like the light from the lighthouse. Right. Mm-hmm. I like that. Laura thinks she sees him in the cave on the beach. Which is, of course, how Tomas died. Yeah. Right? So That's she, where he died. Yeah. Now she's going and she's looking around and, you know, she, the scaffolding falls out of the cabinet under the stairs and she just <laughs> casually puts it back in and closes the door because that's what you do. You clean up your messes and you go. Anyway. Well, and she's like, and you, 
<laughs> you can see how you would see that scene at first because you know, she's embarrassed like the other parents are, are there she doesn't want them there. to know that anything is wrong she uh-huh. doesn't want you know to cause any kind of scene so it's just like oh yeah but when you know what that really meant right it just uh yeah it kills you kills you yeah yeah and and you know even I, I didn't realize it until later because I there were details I didn't remember. Even the opening credits sort of give you a clue. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> as to something that's going to happen. Because all the children's happen, hands ripping the uh, wallpaper. wallpaper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love those opening credits. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, so that's an important thing. Um, so they didn't find anyone in the cave. Uh, we also meet the psychologist uh, Pilar. She brings up the idea that he could have been kidnapped by a relative or like his natural birth parents or something which puts in their mind, you know, maybe Benigna is related to him in some way, perhaps a grandmother or something. There are more bumps, knocks, creaks in the house, this time coming from Simone's room. Um, They find the doll in his bed. Nice little Uh creepy detail. Yeah, and then we know, find out later what one of those, probably yeah. two of those bumps <laughs> right. that she hears were. Yes. <sighs> yes. But uh, I don't know Damn. if I want to say it until we get there. Um, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll save it. Um, it just cuts to six months later, and they have that support group uh, for people who have lost children and... She is, Laura is convinced, you know, my son is not dead. His friends took him. Uh, so she has bought into the idea of ghosts, I think. I think so. At the Already. So um, Carlos is being a doctor, I think is, no, I don't, he was kidnapped and here's my map room and he's uh, he's got his whole little... You know the, the in like in Saw where Danny Glover has the pictures all yeah. over the wall kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know that that was sort of a uh, <laughs> I don't know that was sort of a feature of movies like this for a long time right. in the in the 90s and 2000s after Seven I think there was just all this. You got to you got to have a map with all the little push pins and the red and strings and the, yeah like, yeah. What does that really mean? I don't yeah. know, but it is kind of another one of those cliches too of the 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 fierce mother who's gonna believe in just about anything yeah that's gonna hopefully get her kid back and then the skeptical dad well and carlos is not cold though he's not no um that's one of the things that i kind of hate about movies like this sometimes is that the dad just always checks out it's like and i (laughs) just don't think i would do that he's still He's still deeply loving and concerned for his lost child, but also um, for his wife. I mean, the burdens that he's carrying are very real, too. And I don't think that is dismissed in this movie like it is in some, you know, and I I, I like that's one of the things I like about this. And Carlos is a relatively minor character compared to Laura, but um, still Yes, he does follow the rationality of things, 
and he's he kind of says, you know, we need to leave, and I think he's right. And <laughs> I, I don't think he's I don't think he's he's not he's not set up as a ineffectual or weak or abusive or checked out or any of those things that too often are seen in movies like this. So yes. I, I really like his characterization here and it's it's well done and beautifully played as well. All of the acting in this is is beautiful and well done. And you just have to remember, you know, of course he's going to take the practical side, you know. He will. He's the doctor. Yeah. And it's also that thing maybe of he feels like he's got to take on that role of the stronger one because he can Mm. see her like slowly following, falling apart. Yeah. He falls into the traditional role of the male strength rock kind of character, which Probably not really showing his real emotion about how he's really feeling. Because, you know, one of the things I do like, you know, the fact that he's he plays the piano, too. So he's not just science and reason. And, um, you know, he's he's creative. He's He's artistic as well. You know, there's there's everyone in this movie contains multitudes just like real human beings do. I like that. And I love that the the ending is with him, too. Yes. And that was a good way to end it. I love that. The last shot is is for me yeah. as a as a dad, and all that is kind of devastating and incredibly <laughs> powerful. Um, so uh, now they see Benigna when they're out in the city, it's out in town. Yeah, yeah. and um, they tr- try and stop her, and what do you know? <laughs> she gets hit by an ambulance. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I mean, which is always ir- I, the big irony when someone gets hit by an ambulance in a movie. <laughs> Good shock moment it for is. the movie. And it's, a, it's a little gross, you know, with her face very all gross. fucked up and everything. Very cool effects. Um, the way that her <laughs> jaw is like hanging off her face. Yeah. Off of hanging off of her face. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like the one. It feels like something has been lost, like that one connection that the person that could have had some answers, even though they do find the answers, you know, because they figure out like sure. who she really is. Mm-hmm. Well, they find the doll and she's pushing a baby carriage and they think maybe mm-hmm. she has Simon in there. Mm, yeah. But it is a doll that has like a bag on its head. Is it's Tomas. It's Tomas. You know, it's yeah. Tomas. Because spoiler out, alert, it's Tomas. Spoiler which, alert, which we actually find out in the next scene anyway. Yeah. So, so it's no. Beninia was uh, Tomas's mother. Yeah, and we have these Super Eight films and pictures found in her house. Uh, find out she worked at the orphanage, and her son Tomas was born uh, with uh, uh, birth defects. Uh, you know, some deformation, facial deformities. Facial yeah. deformities. Um, and so he wore this like burlap bag on his head with a face drawn on it. Um, it's sort of and they the, kept him away from yeah, the other kids, which is uh, right, which is sad. Horrible. I mean, it's it's sort yeah. of the it's sort of the creepy image of the movie, but when you know what it's about, the, the it's, sack, yeah, the, yeah, the kid with the orphan whatever the orphanage outfits, the blue with yeah. the, the white collars and cuffs, and the yeah. kid with the sack on his head. It's very very cool, like iconic look. Yeah. I think, but the yeah, the reality of it is very sad. A little bit of Jason and Mrs. Voorhees <laughs> sure. stuff going on here, um, <laughs> but the thing is, what we don't—the kids didn't seem to have a problem with Tomas, though. No, you know, it was the adults 
who sort of projected that that the kids are going to have a problem with that even though silence your cell phone jeez I'm sorry, I'm turning it off now. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. It's like, have you ever listened to the movies that made me? Joe Dante's phone goes off all the time during that show. Oh, it's kind of, they, they uh, kind of turn it into a running joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, um, but like I said, it's it's the adults that are kind of the ones who have the hang up. It's not yeah. the kids. And so... Because, I mean, it's the same kind of thing as in heavyweights. Like, why would we yeah. make fun of Tomas? Like, we're all kind of the same. Yeah. There's something... Quote, unquote, you know, wrong something with all of them. Wrong yeah. or different or yeah. with about them. And this, this is a place where they can have friends and be themselves and not have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. And but and what happens to Tomas was an accident. Yeah. You know, the he kids were just dead playing. On the beach, yeah. Yeah, and they, he went to go hide in his cave. They took his mask, and he hid in the cave, and the tide came up, and he drowned. This was all shortly after Laura was adopted. Yeah. I was going to say, I was. is this the part where she assumes that... Uh, but I guess we haven't found out uh, the other kids are dead yet. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that is later. That is later. I'm sorry. She hasn't assumed that um, Benigna did anything. No, not yet. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, she just goes to um, find, like, a, a paranormal. Yeah, and I, I like this. Something he says right at the beginning, I think, is, you know, he says Jung. He uses a quote from Jung. I don't have the exact quote, but it's something like, uh, it is in the subconscious that the dead dwell with the living. And I thought that is an interesting way. Cause you could even look at this movie in that sense. You can, that's one of the things that's great about this and about the innocence is it could be wishful thinking or it could be something besides actual ghosts True. Yeah. that happen in this movie too. And I think that's why these two make a good pairing too. You know, because you can read these movies in multiple ways. And that's uh, what makes that's what makes them engaging, I think, too, is that there's a lot going on. Whereas some and, like Poltergeist, you, there are ghosts. I mean, there's there's no question about yeah. it. There are ghosts in that movie. Whereas here it's like, are are there are there or are there not? I mean, it's it's there's a lot that to, to ponder in both of these. And with Laura being the main character and the one whose perspective I think we're seeing most of this from, Mm -hmm. and with what she's going through with her child being missing and her desperation and stuff, she could be a bit of an unreliable narrator Narrator herself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The mediums could be telling her what she wants to hear you know during yep. the seance you know because yep. they're charlatans like they're usually depicted as you know in their life right right or they're telling the truth right i like what he says um during this little talk that he's giving too because it's another one of those like breadcrumbs like clues mm-hmm. as to what happens when he's talking about like um doppelgangers the doppelganger and, yeah mm-hmm. and the your doppelganger being in, in the other world being like a passport to the other world which is what she eventually has to do right to to reach the children yeah then i hadn't caught i don't think i had caught that before and i was like ah i've done a lot of research (laughs) okay i've done a little bit of research on the doppelganger because of uh i've done a couple of pieces that deal with 
German expressionism. And the mm-hmm. doppelganger is like one of the most often used uh, elements in in German expressionism. So oh, cool. uh, it, it's just sort of a fascinating uh, thing. I mean, and it's German. I mean, it's, it's so obviously yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's something that was uh, psychologically just in the using another German word, the zeitgeist of that time when they were <laughs> making the movies. <laughs> but it's but it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really like medium scenes, though, in ghost movies. I do, too. I can't, they're so cliche, and we see them all the time, but, but I don't care. I love them. I don't know. The Especially way when used, they, they always manage to do something just a little bit different, too. They I do. Like, they do. Because we're going to talk too. about this again in, in, in yeah. The Changeling. And... <laughs> And of course, a little bit in Stir of Echoes, too. In Stir of Echoes, yeah. But, and the thing is, one of the things, there's also a scientific spin on this that I like, too. One of the things that people forget about with Poltergeist is before Zelda Rubenstein shows up with her walk towards the light, Carol Ann, and all the sort of hoity, you know, the ooh sort of elements, <laughs> there's a scientific paranormal crew that comes into the house. That is, I think, better than the Zelda Rubenstein stuff. And the Zelda, that, that stuff's great. I mean, that stuff's iconic. But I really like those sequences because they're actually trying to, like, measure what's happening here scientifically. And there's a little bit of that happening here combined with a little bit more of the ooh stuff, too. You know? So um, it's cool. And I like the characters that they bring in yeah you know i mean all of them are they're very intelligent they're measured in what they will say as far as are we really experiencing this or not i don't know i i I think there's a little bit of that happening in here too that i like a lot Um, aurora is uh is a wonderfully supportive character um who has these connections she can make to the spirit world through objects. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, that Laura needed somebody, you know, on her side Yeah, for this, for what she believes is going on. And that's what Aurora is. Sure. Another movie that does this, uh, the sort of scientific route thing is the entity, which I think is a kind of fascinating one. But then Carlos being the, the practical one also has to invite uh, Pilar to this uh, seance thing got to bring in the uh, the psychologist sure and you and get this you get the sense that the guy who is giving the lecture his name is escaping me but he also i mean he he believes in this stuff so he believes in her but he is also a psychologist he's not mm-hmm. you know a medium he's like how do you feel about bringing a medium into your home <laughs> you know is his <laughs> approach to it but gosh, that scene where Aurora is going through the house and or the, just like her sitting in front of the flashing light is, yeah. I don't know, for some reason, that's a really cool way. That's that's how they kind of like put her into the, the trance, trance that mm-hmm. and her walking, yeah, walking through the house and her looking like so spooky herself in the, yeah. the, the footage. And they're tracing and her the screens. on the map and mm-hmm. it's like, wait, you know, who then hearing the screaming children and the, you're kind of put into her shoes at that time. You hear the screaming children and she said, you know, who would want to poison you? And um, hearing the children say yeah. we're sick, we're sick. Yeah. Yeah. 
she describes that it's the same house, but everything was much older. And I don't know that that's one thing that I'm a little bit like, it's not like it was that much older. I mean, if, if, <laughs> if Laura, it was like, it was like at, it was about 30 years before. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like, yeah, things were change over that time, but it's not like it's, Oh, this happened in 1882. Right. And, and the you house know, itself is pretty old. So, right. And, and you would think that maybe something else happened before that, you know, <laughs> You know what I'm saying, um, but um, but that doesn't have the personal connection to Laura then, and that's sort of the point. Um, but everything was much older, and says the lighthouse was still working. And she gives Laura some very important advice here. Uh, she also says something that I don't know. I haven't really gotten when she she kind of holds up her arm next to Laura's. Yeah, the and pinch. says something about how like we who are closer to death are more receptive to messages from the beyond. Right. Like what's up with Laura? Is there something wrong with Laura too? That I didn't quite, I don't think I've ever quite gotten that. Or is she talking about Simone? Like how? Well, Simone, he would be yeah, closer. He was, he'd be more he was, receptive. He was, he was receptive to, to death, it. He was very sick. close to death being sick. And also I think because he was, you know, his clock was ticking. I mean, did they, did, does the spirit world know when you're, when your day, when your day's up? Because yeah. maybe Laura becomes more receptive in those last couple of days that she's there because, because she's going to die going in to two die. days, you know? Ah, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> so now she does take those when she's she all dressed pills, up, she takes those pills. Yeah. But, um, so <laughs> But but we're never really. Are they like sleeping pills or something? I don't know. They we're never be. really told what they're for, unless she takes them to make herself "quote unquote" closer to death in that in that scene, uh, in that sequence. You know. Yeah, that's that's just one little thing that I didn't. I haven't really gotten. That there was. If yeah. Laura was also sick in some way too. Like, right. and that's another reason why she is more apt to believe in this stuff than Carlos. Yeah. No, no. What and, um, Aurora also tells her something also very important. It's another thing I, I really kind of liked. Uh, again, a different spin on something when she tells Laura that uh, seeing is not believing; it's the other way around. Believing is seeing believing from the Santa Claus. <laughs> That's but in the Santa Claus. This... <laughs> it's a little hokier in that movie. But <laughs> we're talking about ghosts here. Yeah, <laughs> it, it kind of makes more sense. Um, in a ghost story, right? Sure. If you believe in it, you, maybe you'll you'll actually see it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, that all comes down. That's even um, that's actually a biblical reference, which makes sense. I mean, this is a there's Catholicism throughout this movie too. Um, you know, like he gives her oh, the, Carlos gives, gives yeah. her the medal. You know, the saint's medal. I can't remember which saint, but it's a saint's medal. And it says, you, you give it back to me when this isn't a gift. Give it back to me when, when we find Simon. Uh, is, oh, that's right. I which, forgot he said that. <laughs> which is obviously very important for the ending. But, oh, my God. But, <laughs> but the whole idea of believing is seeing. You know, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing is actually a biblical reference where Paul writes, faith is assurance of things that are not seen. Uh, so, I mean, th that whole sort of Catholic underpinning of this film, and honestly, a lot. It makes sense. Uh, yeah. A, I mean, 
because yeah, think, think, think about this you know um yeah exactly place. yeah yeah it's it's extremely rooted in catholicism and i just don't think there's much there's like no escaping it i mean it's just in um the collective unconscious of the culture yeah, <laughs> you know whether whether they're practicing or not you mm-hmm. know i mean there we talked about this i think in pan's labyrinth where um, Guillermo del Toro was like, he didn't even realize how Catholic the movie was. And people were telling him he, cause he was trying to consciously make it not Catholic. And people were saying that is the most Catholic movie you've ever made. <laughs> and I, I would agree with that second statement that it is. Um, so there, there's, there's a lot of that in here and you know, I'm not personally Catholic, but I can see some of those connections too. Um, now, when Aurora's leaving, she says what she says to Laura, I think, is, is sort of it. what propels us to the end of the movie. She says, your pain will guide you, but only you can decide how far you're willing to go to find your son. And that's when I was like, oh, I remember the ending now. OK. And because I had forgotten what I didn't really remember how this movie went except for a couple of things. So I was, that was like, Oh, right. I know Mm -hmm. she, she's willing to go as far as it takes, which, you know, is, is the power of love, I suppose, in a beautiful way, but it's also, I think that's what it's supposed to be about. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Carlos is at this point is like, he's gone and he starts taking down the, because, because he's like, well, even if it's been even nine if months, it's been nine months. He is like his, he would have died of his disease by now without, without his medication. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that there's, he's, he's again, he's taking the reasonable approach. This is not, and he's like, okay, we've lost this. We need to see if we can still maintain what we do have pick up our pieces. This is going to be very challenging, but we can do it together. I think is his view. You know, I, I don't feel like he's quote unquote giving up per se. He's trying to salvage what they do have still. And again, knowing the ending and her wanting to find out what happened when she does find out what happened and that she unintentionally had a part in it. Yeah. Would she have been able to survive that? Would a, would their relationship have been able to survive that? You know? Well, would she have known would if they she have been had, better? well, would she have even found out that she had a part in it? If, if, if they but, did leave. And, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, would yeah. it have just been, they, you think they would have been better off just like not knowing like just not the, knowing the not yeah. the not knowing is hard too but yeah i don't know that pretty much i think that's part of big part of why she does what she does uh, at the end it's like i don't know that how how could how could i how could i survive knowing that i killed my own son yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're right uh, well it's like he yeah. i think he, yeah he's taking the practical approach she wants to find out what happened maybe sometimes you don't want to know <laughs> in the right. whole story you know right Ugh. right it's, it's, especially uh, when it's something like that <laughs> ignorance may well be bliss in that, in that case yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it would be unimaginable to live with that. that's that's why this movie is 
so devastating like not just that the kid was dead but how yeah like that's <laughs> but 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 i again, you have thought of that you're we'll, fucked we'll, up we'll, 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 we'll get we'll, we'll get we'll get to that but i there's there's something that is at least a little bit of a relief in it all but we'll get there okay, okay. <laughs> now this is where she starts to take things she's going to she goes on her own little treasure hunt yeah um where are you i'm not afraid the window crashes down and shatters over the seat and she finds those dolls uh under the window seat um and a picture of her and simon yep i can't I, I've, I've just sort of defaulted to calling him simon instead of simone i, I hope that's okay um yeah uh, all right <laughs> the picture of him like representative of mm-hmm. like this is the treasure that you have to find yeah 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 and there is a sense that the kids just want to play that they just want to play games you know it's just it's not they just don't want to be alone they they you know and they do want to help her but they, i think because she does m- make an ultimatum with them it's like yeah. i will play if you tell me where simone is yeah. and i think maybe they're kind of holding out a little bit because it's yeah again they want they want her back. They want yeah. someone to, to be with them and protect them. And they know that, you know, if maybe if she finds them, that yeah. she'll leave them. Now, when they find the, the, there, there's some questions I have that I don't know if are entirely answered. Okay. So the treasure hunt, she finds the human remains, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, sort of in those, what are, is, are those uh, like storage where they those bags are is that like food story or some kind of it almost looks like a I guess. oven it, it's, it's a weird coal, that's a coal shed oh okay it's a coal shed that makes sense okay so she finds the and they're like the leg braces and the headgear thing and so Jawbone you you, you find yeah you, it's like you know Skull. it's you know it's the kids you know it's the yeah. kids and so she draws the conclusion that Benigna poisoned them uh, in retaliation for the death Tomas of death. Tomas. Do you think that's true? Yeah. Okay. You don't think it's true? I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure. It, it makes the most sense. That is, but then, and then of course you have Benigna probably never really able to recover from the guilt of all that. Um, well, trying herself. to cover her tracks. That's what she was doing mm-hmm. um, in the shed that night that Laura found hers. That she was probably gonna move the bodies or sure take them or something. I mean, what did the the kids say during the seance? They said we're sick, we're mm-hmm. sick, and like yeah. so the the medium obviously probably saw them yeah. dying or being sick or whatever. And she says like, who would want to poison you? Yeah. So she uses the. Uh, I think she probably the, d- the desserts and and uh, something in the sugar. I want to say maybe like over the blackberries. Well, ars- arsenic or arsenic something. Yeah. maybe yeah yeah that would they make don't sense. really say for sure like like in flowers kind of flowers in the attic. Okay, you ever see that? Okay, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's it's not good. Um, apparently, West <laughs> West Craven was originally going to write and direct that one too, and who knows? It might have yeah. been. A, I know the story, but uh, yeah, um, I don't think I ever saw that. Anyway. Yeah. Now she, uh, Carlos is like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to get out of here because I think it's because he sees this is bad for her. Just being there is, is well, bad yeah. for her. 
And it's it's really is out it's of It's getting care. worse. It is out of love and care that he wants her to come away. And she kind of begs him to let her stay for two more days by herself, which he agrees to, but I don't think that's easy for him to do. No. No. Like I said, I really think Carlos is he's a good man. I mean, he's not the he's not trying to <laughs> squash her in any way at all i think he's trying to save her as best he can but he also knows that you know she's she's her own person you know and she's not she's gonna hate him if he doesn't let her stay they just both have those differing ideas about what would be good for them yeah he thinks like that knowing probably too much and she won't be able to go on if she doesn't know the mm. truth of what happened. So and I don't think either one of them leave. is necessarily wrong either. No, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's not bad guys and good guys here. It's just, no? it is what it is. There's disagreement, but it's not like <laughs> one is so wrong and one is so right. You know, she says she can't leave that. There are too many memories here and that she has to say goodbye. She has to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh. Oh, you won't have to say goodbye. <laughs> now that when she's there, she's, she she sort of reestablishes the way it was back in the old days when she was there. They still have the beds and everything. She's uh, trying she to figure out together. how to play the game. She says yeah. before, like, I don't know how to play. I don't like. I don't know what you know these kids want from me. She's trying. She's trying to figure out how to play the game that they want. So she's trying yeah. to yeah recreate. The way that the orphanage was when she was there, when she was yeah. a kid, setting up the beds the same way and putting on um, the uniform of the putting on the, the uniform, like the putting up that yeah, putting up that weird scarecrow thing that was yeah before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why was that there to begin with? That was weird. Yeah, I know they don't and, have. It's not like they're growing crops out there. <laughs> I know, <laughs> sitting all the dolls down at the table um, with them, but nothing's happening. Until she realizes that they want to they play, play They want to play. So she games. plays one, two, three, knock at the door the, on the wall. Uh, my favorite and, scene. One of the best moments. Uh, the way that this whole thing plays out, I think, is... Yeah, it's creepy, but it's also... it's It's got the same kind of like weird, bittersweet thing to it where it's creepy. But, I mean, this is what... Because you know that they're not really malicious... But they're still ghosts, you know. Yeah, it's scary, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's all done in like one shot where it goes from her, you know, saying one, two, three, knock on the wall, and you know, pans over. And then there's nothing like, there. Nothing goes there. back or to the her, doors and then open. The second, the second time she hears the the noise and the doors open. Yeah. The next time there's just one, one kid there. Yeah. The next time there's like five of them there, <laughs> and it's oh, it's so good. It's I, really I love good. the way that this was filmed yeah and they lead her one of them leads her to the the door underneath the stairs where yeah. the doorknob she, that she had yeah the door found that they led her matches. to matches and she tears away a little bit of the wallpaper and discovers there's a secret sort of passage door in the back that leads downstairs to a cellar where there are pictures and drawings on the wall um and this was where uh, Tomas was kept his little house that where he was kept away from the other children. So when you 
when she sees Simone again, did you believe it at first? Like just a little glimmer of like, because she finds um, Simone like laying fine, that. just the same as he was like the day he I, went missing. I, it was too long. It was too long. I, I was like, I was like, <laughs> at, the, at the very least, he would have starved down there. He wouldn't be looking sure. that healthy. Now, because my thought was, okay, obviously she she discovers she's holding an empty blanket and she looks and she sees the actual body and she sees the broken staircase. And now there's one little relief in all of this is at least he died quickly. <laughs> I hope so. Which is, which is, <laughs> which is horrifying to say, but otherwise, I mean, his, his virus would have taken over, probably gone into full blown AIDS, which would have been, and he would have starved to death. No water. Mm-hmm. All all this happening at the same time would have been a horrifying way to die. <laughs> I mean, that, alone. That, that is alone. I mean, might they have heard his cries? If, if That's a big house. But that's, it's a big if, you know. Um, but, but what, because he died pretty much instantly. Um, Seems like he either hit his head or broke his neck yeah probably it's sort of like there's maybe a slight amount of relief in in that fact but i mean (laughs) but it's still it's devastating it's a devastating moment you know it's him because that hair Mm -hmm. and and just just the the gaunt you know sort of dried skin and everything (laughs) it's um, and her like the the flashing back to the day that he went missing and realizing you know again with the, the scaffolding stuff that she was the one that blocked his exit yeah putting that back um she she blocked the door so that it couldn't open and then later on in the night hearing those sounds was probably right. him falling trying to get out either knocking or tr- probably trying to be heard and mm-hmm. then falling off the stairs and yeah well, <laughs> and then there's also and, oh my god just th- the knowing them living there for that long and he was right there, there yeah the whole time and, and then she flashes Ugh. and it was her you know she remembers putting the scaffolding back into the closet so he wasn't able to get out yeah that's what um, i said <laughs> he wasn't able to get back out and that's just like when she realizes that i mean it's just like and she had and they had had this fight, you know, the you're a liar, you don't really love me thing, you know, right before he disappears. So that the whole movie is almost like a proof of, yes, yeah, she genuinely does love this child. Absolutely. You know, and yeah, anyway, um, and she just she carries his body upstairs. And, well, I like the scene where she's. um She's holding on to him and like the the camera is uh-huh. like uh-huh. spinning all around her while she's she's talking to him and just uh, and saying like just pretend like go back to like before we ever came here and remember all those good memories and it's just again it's just so such a tragic thing of her holding on for as long as she can to yeah. that moment for her when he is still alive and he's okay and even though maybe deep down she knows that he's not right. That's another like brilliant, like way to, to convey the kind of emotion that's, that's going on in this movie mm-hmm. and the, the, the tragic nature of it all. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and yeah. when she, you know, kind of finishes off the bottle of pills and kind of falls, we see, you know, uh, he, you know, she. I can't. She's remember. holding him or the window seal and yeah. you know, taking all the pills and. Yeah. Now the I, camera just kind of pulls away from her. Yeah. Now the Saints medal gets pulled from her neck. Was that Simon who did that or or her? I can't remember. I don't remember. Um, but that that's a kind of a key moment. Um, then then uh, suddenly the lighthouse works again. And Jesus. she she wakes up and we see Simon's feet sort of flex on, put on the floor and well, flex on the floor. She, well, because when they go back to her, or her head's hanging down. We know now watching the movie yes. that she's dead. She's dead. But she when she comes back up, she makes her wish. Yes. Because that's part of the game. Right. Like, they they took something that she loved, Simon, and now that mm-hmm. she's found him again, she gets to make her wish, and her yeah. wish is, "I want Simon back." Yeah, and um, you know he uh, he asks if he can wake up now, which is yeah one of the other um. things that he said <laughs> earlier in the movie. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> totally different, like more innocent circumstances. Uh. Right, right. <laughs> And the other children being there, including Tomas, without without the bag, he's without just mask, he's yeah. just fe- fully uh, accepted by um, by all the children, as he always probably was. It's just I would think know, so. Yeah. yeah, this is and some of the things I wrote about this. You know, it's serene and not scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like being reunited with friends, uh, and they say you know she's grown old like wendy in the story um okay yeah this is something that i didn't remember from peter pan specifically i remembered it more from hook because uh tomas brings over the blind girl mm-hmm. to laura and she kind of touches her face and she's the one that says you know it's laura i remember that's something from that's like a peter pan thing too right <laughs> uh it, 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 i don't I remembered know it from- I've, I've never been that into <laughs> peter pan to be honest because I remembered it from from Hook, because there's one kid that kind of like pulls at his face and says, sure. "Oh, that is Peter." Yeah, and the kids. But yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a, she sees her um, younger self also um, outside, like running away towards mm-hmm. the house, like and like kind of taking over the place of her doppelganger. Right, mm-hmm. I think. And yeah, it's very, the music is very happy and like uplifting and, and hopeful here when all the sure. kids are, are happy to have Laura back and, uh, uh she, and that idea, so you I was know, telling the, them a story. Yeah. And the lighthouse uh, is working, you know, the, the lighthouse, lighthouse protects them from evil. Um, now this ending after that, I mean, that's devastating enough, but then you have, the person who's left behind. And I think that you have the reality of that. ending. <laughs> yeah, that really, that's really a hard scene for me. I, I got it. Well, because it's, it's first confirmed that Laura is dead because yeah, there's a headstone dedicated to Laura and Simon and all the other all children, the children who died there. And I assume that he set that all up, you know, yeah, that, he's got to be moving out. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But maybe not. After and, well, he ending. goes. Oh. He goes up there, and he finds, he finds the saint's medal, which was, give this back when you've found, Simone, and then it just his, 
the the room kind of lights up around him and 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 but the, it ends with like a close up on his face and it's just like the door well the doors of the room open yeah and he looks up and it's kind of like a smile but crying at the same time yeah i think the look on his face so it's either that um and it's another did they reveal themselves to her to him perhaps could be seen either way it's either like he sees either he sees one or both you know the ghost maybe of laura and or simone or it's just that he's he the opening the opening of the door is him feeling their presence and and he's comforted by that yeah, I think I I lean more towards that second interpretation that he knows that they are safe and together. At the same time, I think there's a sense of but I know that I need to stay here. That's what I'm wondering. Do you think he stayed in the house or do you think he moved out? Because it kind of no, looks empty. He, like I think he left out. the I think he left the house. But I mean, I think he I, what I mean stay here is stay alive is is not join them oh, at okay, this gotcha, at okay. this time, or maybe even never join them again who knows i mean but they'll always have a presence with him i i don't think that that's any doubt it's sort of like the you learn about people after they're gone thing from me and earl and the dying girl uh the i I, there's a sense of that continuing um it's like he's seeing squirrels drawn on the wallpaper right there i don't know (laughs) um but (laughs) You know, I, I I don't know how else to say it, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's one of those movies where it's like, wow, this is, there's heavy ideas being dealt with here. Um, and I mean, and one of the interpretations people could have from this movie is death is good. Um, <laughs> which, uh, is, I don't know. It, 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 that's so that that's one of the things I sometimes struggle with in movies like this and the seventh victim, which is a movie I adore. And I, I think, you know, can convey that message to some people too. And it's just like, um, it's a hard, <laughs> there, there are lots of things to grapple with, um, and lots of ways to look at the movie. It, it's, they're great. You mean films. like with her suicide? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think that was because she didn't think that she could live with herself knowing, yeah. like, like we said before, that she had a, a part, even though it was completely unintentional, uh, you know, in Simone's death. Yeah. Like, how would you be able to, to go get over that? <laughs> I can't even imagine. Now, maybe it's saying that there is, that death doesn't have to be, there can be some comfort in right. the people being with the people that you've lost that that care about you right back together so i'm sorry i picked a sad movie i thought thought that was your job (laughs) (laughs) it is my job uh judging by the the next ones as well but you know hey um, that's true yeah so mine's more fun (laughs) mine mine all have had kind of downer endings lately aren't they because you go from this one one is, is bittersweet because me and Earl and the Dying Girl, and then um, even The World's End is not exactly a happy ending. Then, then we've got The Innocence. The, the world. <laughs> then we've got The Innocence, and now um, what do we have now we're, coming up next time? We've well, got more because ghosts. Because we love, we love ghosts so much. Yeah. We've got two. We, okay, we, so we, these are, we called this one 
a haunted house movie because there's a difference yeah because this is a place that's been haunted you know obviously haunted house Mm-hmm. Um, the next one we kind of thought more just like ghosts in general because I think in both of our choices it's it's definitely not tied to one place where right. the, the I mean there's stuff a, happens there's which a little is bit of a, about both of them yeah in my choice um, there's a little bit more of a connection to the house but it's also outside the house as well yeah. there's a lot that happens outside the house. Um, dealing with the ghost. Um, so I have chosen from 1980, a movie I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, honestly. Uh, Peter Medek's The Changeling, still far too underseen uh, and one of the best ghost stories ever. It's, yeah. uh, it's amazing. So I'm very excited to revisit this one once again. And then mine is just been a, a personal favorite for such a long time. Um, I'm also very excited to talk about this one because, um, yeah, just that it's been a favorite and it's got um, a lot of really cool, again, just doing things just a little bit differently that I always kind of like uh, in ghost movies. You always want something a little bit more exciting than the usual stuff. And I think this one has a lot of that going on. It is from 1999. We're going to talk about Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes from one of the greatest years in cinema history, as it were, too. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. So we're having a lot of fun talking about horror at the moment. So, Hell yeah. So hope you are enjoying it too and um, glad you continue to join us for this. So uh, real quick, uh, you can find me on the socials at BrianWaves42. You can find me on Instagram at Michelle Aiken. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at MovieLifePod. And you can drop us a rate and review in Apple's in Apple podcasts or in Spotify or wherever you're listening, uh, that would be helpful to us to spread the word. Yes, it would. So if you like our spooky seasons, if you like our spooky (laughs) season, you know, maybe now's the time to give that rate and review if you haven't already. Okay. Well, I was going to try and come up with something clever, but I'm I'm saying, I just, me too. I, can't. I, I, I got, just, yeah, I got blank. nothing. So I'm just going to say, what are we going to do? <laughs> uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Stay spooky.